I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and produced by Nicholas Lott. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Sorry, I'm not going to do the whole song. (laughs) Wait a minute, the whole song? Man, so we're recording right now, Justin. Is that correct? That is correct. Hey, welcome to the show, everybody. That's the first show without an intro song. It's I think I think we owe beer for the start of the show. Actually, we I don't think we did an intro song the first six. Ah, uh, well. So take it wasn't that. a real show back then. Still not. <laughs> it's like saying we're a real boy. Come on. Uh, before we get started, and uh, dude, I'm really excited about today. Got to throw out a really quick shout out to Velocity Sports Equipment. They make Infinity rigs. Absolutely my favorite, most comfortable rig on the market. Uh, Kelly Farrington, the owner, and, and the family and friends there are a supporter of the show. They really help us out. But I've been jumping Infinity since 1999. I love javelins. I love vectors. They make phenomenal rigs. We don't have the only rig out there when we look at one great rig. But I've tried them all, and I've gone back to Infinity seven times. I've had seven brand new Infinities. I love that rig. It is the most comfortable rig I've ever owned in my life. Nick, you jump one. I do. Uh, it does not belong to me. Yeah. But it's a, it's a lovely rig. It's very comfortable. We've got your order coming soon, hopefully. Everything's getting set up with that. Yeah. yeah. I talked to Riley here and there. Yeah. She's real nice. But uh, I just got to start throwing some more videos at them. That's what I think. Well, we've got a, a quick project to finish up, and we'll be good to go. But Beautiful. Um, what is your favorite thing about the Infinity that you've been jumping? Gosh, uh, you know, it, it was a little weird at first. Um, I have a lot of jumps on a Mirage, and I'm a really tiny little fella. Yeah. And so I was really skeptical about how the Infinity was going to fit my, my little body. <laughs> and, man, it is... Uh, the Mirage is really wide. My elbows hit it. And uh, <laughs> the the Infinity, I just don't feel it at all. It's it's more narrow. It, uh, it isn't any taller than my Mirage. It's just yeah. more narrow. I think it's a, a better fit for the canopies. And uh, it's, just all, it's all around more comfortable. And then uh, the I was a little worried. The, uh, the rig didn't have a, a Cypress in it when I got it. And I was worried that that was going to be too tight or the tightness of the, the canopy and the AAD was mm-hmm. going to... I was worried that the flaps were going to be too tight, that if I had a terminal reserve opening, that the reserve might hesitate on coming out because with my Mirage, it's a really, really tight fit with the reserve, even when the flaps come open. Yeah. And then I saw how much those flaps come open when the pin comes out, and that worry went right out the window. The two of my favorite things you mentioned, a lot of people will look at your standard Infinity and they're really flat against your back and they're wide. But when you're a big dude in the wide rig, it, it doesn't really matter. But everybody looks and says, I don't like that profile. When you order Infinity, they look at your body size, they look at your body type, they look at your canopy types. And when the smaller size containers, they go to what what's called SN, and that's what you're jumping is an SN model. Yeah, uh, Barbie Backpack, I think is what they call it. That is actually the back backdoor <laughs> name, Barbie Backpack. <laughs> but the SN is short and narrow, so they, they squeeze it all together. It makes it thicker, but your rig already small, so thickness doesn't matter. So if you're looking at Infinity <laughs> and you don't, like, <laughs> you don't like the dimensions <laughs> that you see, realize there are a couple different options. And absolutely the geometry. Kelly is an engineer background. You know Kelly, uh, Jay. Yeah, I know him really well. He's, he's a nerd, and I, I love Kelly. He, we've tried to convince him to come on the show, and maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But uh, he loves the engineering of it all and the geometry of those flaps and making sure everything can get out and, and a total malfunction is very important to him. 
And you even got to see some testing in malfunction mode with him. And he takes it serious, doesn't he? He's very serious. No messing around. Yeah. Um, willing to put my life at stake. <laughs> can, you ca- can we talk about that? No. Okay, I didn't think so. No, no. It's, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll play coy. So, guys, gals, check out Infinity Rigs. Go to Velocity Sports Equipment. Um, VelocityRigs.com, actually. I'd have to double check that. If I could. Thank you, Justin. Um, <laughs> look that Sorry, shit I'm, up, I'm Justin. I'm just surprised everything else is working, even though I totally oh, yeah. took a shit. We, we've had some uh, technical glitches getting this, sh- this show on oh, God. this evening. Make sure you mention Gravity Lab Radio and the special instructions when you order your Infinity Rig. They'll give you a free mesh back pad upgrade. VelocityRigs.com. Velocity Rigs. Thank you, Mr. Grubbs. That's his name. <laughs> Jesus. I'm the ginger. What happened today? <laughs> Mr. Jesus. <laughs> Not even close. Nope. Nobody <laughs> fucks with the Jesus. Um, but, uh, or hit up Riley, send her an email directly, and uh, mention Gravity Lab Radio. You'll get that free mesh backpack upgrade. Forget all the shenanigans. Let's get real. <laughs> Mr. J. Stokes, welcome <sighs> to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to really try hard to be respectful and behave <laughs> myself. Oh, that, that's probably not going to be much fun. No promise <laughs> from me, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Stokes is, man, I've said I've had a lot of my favorite guests, and you've, you've made fun of me for that at times, and there is zero doubt in my life, this is a moment I've looked forward to, is to actually sit here with my buddy Jay. We've known each other since, uh, I'd say well, since 2003. For sure. We, uh, is that true? Because oh, I yeah. feel like he says that to sound cool. No, no, no. The first time we met was in Lake Elsinore, California, at Skydive Lake Elsinore. And uh, he was jumping a rig that said nitwits on it, <laughs> of all things. He was on a free fly team. Okay. And uh, the rest, they say, is history. You know, I kind of looked at him and said, boy, he, uh, he fits his name. Yeah. You know? yeah. Lived, lived it all right worked out. You know, I, I love the guy from the start. I've seen him mature over time. And, uh, yeah. I'm really so happy are you telling me it. it was worse than this at one point? <laughs> it was a lot worse. Interesting. Back in the day. Oh man, worse. I was a hell. I was I was not the best guy around. I just I was a train wreck. I really was, man. I moved to California to Indiana from California to Indiana to to stop drinking, to stop partying, to stop being a wreck of a lifestyle. Um, it wasn't horrible, but it was in that direction really really well. And I had a lot of growing up to do when I moved to Indiana. And uh, Jay, actually, and the reason I'm so excited for you to be here, it really was a mentor to me. I walked in to start working full-time in the sport in 2002, and actually I would track back that's when we first got to know each other well. I walk into the hangar at Skydive Greensburg in Greensburg, Indiana, and there's this guy who I now call Yoda. I'm, he's my master <laughs> Jedi, man. This guy, i got so much respect for Jay. He's taller than that. Come on. <laughs> Yoda is. You're right. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I've been saving that. Uh, I think you used that today. I did. Huh? Yeah, you did. Stole it's it. About the same height. I, uh, I, I saw Jay standing there. I'm like, what are you doing here? He looked up and saw the ugly purple neon orange free fly pants I had on. He goes, wait a minute. I was going to ask you the same thing. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, from there, Jay has been involved with every single one of my ratings. From coach, tandem, AFF, stackline, IED. Um, and all my examiner ratings yep. um, been a huge part. Actually, I served on the board for a short time, and really my mentor and guy who kind of pointed me that direction was Jay. So when I say this is my dude, I, we all have mentors. This is mine. He's the guy. Yeah. So now you know who to blame. <laughs> now, Jay, I got to ask you, man, when did you start skydiving? Actually, jumping out of airplanes in uh, October of 1974. 1974. I was... Three months old. I was negative 12. <laughs> <laughs> you, said oct- you said October? 
Uh, yes. I was 10 months old. All right. <laughs> so what convinced you? Now, I've heard some of the story, but I want to share it with the world. What convinced you to jump out of an airplane for the first time? Actually, it might sound a little cheesy, but in 1968, I saw a movie called The Green Berets with John Wayne in it, and I was enthralled, and I said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. So when I got a little bit older, I went in the Army and did just that. And, uh, Don't be afraid to drag that mic anywhere you go with you. Cool. It, you really have to... Got to speak around. into the mic. It is a pain in the butt. Okay. Uh, so you, you decide, I'm going to go jump out of an airplane. And I did. And the rest, they say, is kind of history. But what's funny about it is, I, originally, I just started off with the military. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect it to go into the civilian side, and it did. And I'm really glad that it happened that way. I'm glad that I started off in the military side and then moved into the civilian side, because back then, it was not near as safe as it is today, I'm going to tell you. Not on the civilian side. How many military jumps did you make? Before um, you went to civilian? Probably around 250. Oh, wow. So. Okay. So you had a lot of experience when you went to the civilian side of the sport. A little bit, yeah. And what but year? a lot of it was round canopies, too. What year did you go civilian to make your first sport jump? My first sport jump was about two years after, so 76. And what, were you, what, was, what canopy did they have you on? I had a paracommander. Actually, we started off with, with MC1, which were... Uh, cheapos. They were uh, modified military canopies that allowed you a little bit of uh, turn, and you did not flare them because they were round canopies. And then from there, I got some more experience and went on to a Paracommander, which was a higher speed round parachute. Uh, it had a supposed to have had a forward speed of about 13 mile per hour, but it didn't. <laughs> um, came down a lot slower. And, uh, and I used to be able to stand those up. It was pretty easy. So I don't know how they measure a round parachute for the size. Uh, in diameter? Well, actually, um, if you measure across the radius, which, uh, what was it, 35 foot? 35 foot across at the, at the lowest part. So that's how they measure them. So do they, is there any sort of calculation for wing loading with a with canopy that size? You know what? I never thought about it. I don't think anybody ever did. We all just... Just called it big enough? Big enough. Perfect. You know, large, docile, hard to, hard to hurt yourself on, right? I mean, so you and a 280-pound dude would be jumping the same main? Not that one. <laughs> tandem. When Tandem came along, we were jumping square parachutes. Mm -hmm. Now, in the 70s, in the later 70s, around 78, I bought a, um, what was called at the time, a Viking Superlight, which is 230 square foot, F-111 parachute. And it was one of the first Ram Airs that, that was really a lightweight uh, type of fabric and i loved it it was really a good canopy how many cells seven okay so it was uh, reminiscent of the older style clouds paraplane clouds and different parachutes that were built with 1.6 ounce ripstop so they were real super heavy super thick lines this was was less than 1.1 ounce it was called f111 at the time and how heavy would you say today's optimum reserve is oh my god <laughs> compared to that yeah oh my god it was probably twice the weight of an optimum. Yeah. So what you, I want to kind of go backwards just a little bit. And okay. I mean, your story is just so diverse. But I want to kind of get some more of your qualifications for one second because mm. you start throwing out numbers. And one of the <laughs> things that's neat to say is you hold every civilian and military for the U.S. skydiving rating possible. Is that true? That is true. That's true. So you are an AFF instructor. And, and if you don't mind, tell me what each one of those titles are. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm an AFF instructor and an examiner for that. I'm a static line instructor and an examiner for that. Tandem instructor and examiner for that. IAD, instructor assisted deployment uh, on the civilian side, instructor for that. Uh, along those same lines, I've, I've 
worked with all the U.S. made tandem manufacturers, so I'm certified on all their systems. From the military side, I've been a military freefall instructor since two, uh, 90, 1980. That's when I got my MFFI number. Uh, military freefall jump master, static line jump master, uh, instructor for that too. Uh, military tandem examiner, so. Rigger. Master rigger. I'm rigger a rigger examiner. Examiner, rigger examiner too. Pilot, but not pilot yeah. examiner. Right. That's kind of where the buck stops for you. Yeah, it does. I, I want to keep that on the back burner as a, like my time off, if you know what I'm saying. I don't want to train anybody on it. I want to just do it yeah. enjoy it. So that's a little bit of that skydiving background. We're going to get to some numbers because those are really the, the fun <laughs> part of the show later on. But I say you're one of my mentors. I own a company called The Rating Center, and The Rating Center really was inspired by a man named Jay Stokes who owned a company named Certification Unlimited. Yeah. And actually, I don't know if you know this, but when Valerie and I came up with a name, we played with kind of more of the certification name than anything else. Right. And we just bounced around until we ended up with uh, the rating center. I almost call myself Brom. <laughs> 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 but uh, Certification Unlimited, who is that and what do you guys do? Well, we, I actually retired from the Army in February of 1998. And when I retired, I went ahead and opened up my own business, which was Certification Unlimited Incorporated. And what it was all about was training people in anything they wanted to be trained in. Uh, at the time, I was not an AFF examiner, but I was a, at the time, I was a course director for everything else. I later became a, an AFF examiner or, or course director and started doing that too. But the, the purpose or gist behind it all was I wanted to be able to travel around, train people, at, and do things that I really wanted to do. Uh, being in the military, I traveled a lot and... Continuing to travel was kind of easy for me because I, I never knew anything different. So enjoying working with different people, different countries. Yeah. It's, and back to that's where my, my motivation came from. And I don't want to gloss over any of these things, but really one of the neatest stories is yet to come. And I'll, I'll tap on it for one second. Nick, what's the most jumps you've made in one day? 16. I've made 20, dude. I got you fucking beat. Take that. <laughs> Beast. Dude, I, I smoked you. Jay, how many you got? 640. And now, now I'm going to tell on him. It's 641, but he wouldn't let them count one. I've heard this story. You landed off on one, is that I right? I did, because the pilot extended his pattern. I had to use the bathroom. I had to take a leak. So the pilot realized is it, that is I was this nighttime? This was uh, No, it was about 6 a.m. in the morning. Oh, okay. So it's still dark out, but... Think about this. For 22 hours, the pilots have been dialed in. When they turn around, when I see 2,100 feet on the altimeter, I can get out of the airplane because we're over the, over the top. We're over the drop zone. One time that I didn't look down, and the safety that was on board that was with me, I had just finished taking a leak. He was capping the bottle. And, yeah, you're putting put your away, penis away, right? Come right? on. So I look <laughs> up. Who's checking the spot? Right. When and you I got see your gear in your hand still. And right? I roll out. <laughs> I roll out, and I open, and I look over, and there's the drop zone way over there. So I lost about 10 minutes of time. So, so you were short or long? I was short. Okay. So no. ran up a road, a side service road, got out on a highway, thumbed a ride. I lost 10 minutes. So I want to know why why you don't count that. What, what part of it in your mind makes that not a skydive that happened in those twenty four hours? It was still a jump. I probably should have counted it, but I think the story officially then was y'all didn't see me land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you did an awesome PLF boss yeah. no parachute. May have been. Might how have been. how dark was it? It was fairly dark because, like I said, it was just before dawn. So, and as they say, it's always darkest before the dawn. Uh, what was really funny was though when I got down to this off this service road or access road 
to the four lane, some old guy pulls over to pick me up. And he goes, hey, are you watching that guy over there getting out of airplanes? <laughs> and I said, I am that guy getting out of airplanes. He goes, what do you got in your hands? I said, that's my parachute. Can you give me a ride? And he goes, sure, hop in. <laughs> so I was explaining to him what was going on, and he was going, wow, that's really impressive, and blah, blah, blah. And so then I jump out of the car at the, at the drop zone, run into the hangar. Nobody knew whether I was alive or dead because I didn't have a cell phone. You know, it was pretty ridiculous. So I ran in, dropped my stuff. Said hello to everybody, got another rig on, got back on the airplane, he kept jumping. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? So. You keep going, man. I, I'm going to get back. <laughs> this is, that's just a teaser, guys, because this story is, is absolutely immense. I want to just polish off a little bit about Jay's history and um, what, what got him here. So those are most of your jobs, but you also have a third job, and I like to call you Mr. President. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. A thankless job. Okay. Sure. So, Jay has actually been on our board of directors for 10 years? 11. 11 years. 11 years. And you served three terms as the president? Three as the president, one as the vice president, and one as the chairman of the board. And currently, you are, once again, Mr. President. Yeah. Man, I, um, if I was asked about any advice, and recently I've been asked about advice for the board of directors, here it is, and it's very simple. People who vote for the board of directors know who these folks are. Who are you voting for? Who are your board of directors? People complain all the fucking time about USPA. Yeah, they do. I put you there. I voted. I wrote your name down or I checked it off on a ballot. I didn't write it down. I voted for these people. I know who they are. Are you voting for a name you just saw on a paper or your friend told you or are you doing the research? I, I will very frankly say there are people on the board who I don't believe belong there, and I won't say any names, but they're not involved in this board. They're not active. They don't care. One of them, I think, sleeps through board meetings. I'm pretty sure of it. <laughs> who the fuck voted these guys in? Yeah. Man, if you don't care, folks, if you stop caring and you stop being invested in our sport, thank you for the service you've given, and step aside because there are a lot of people out there who will do a good job. So know who you're voting for and know who your board of director members are. And then you can complain. And, Jay, I do complain to you every now and then. Yeah, you do. And that's okay. Somebody's yeah. got to gotta listen. Somebody's got to be there for you. I like to think, if you're going to uh, complain to these guys, I like to think I do it very respectfully and very, share, very, very productively. Hey, this is a problem I see. This is what I think we can do to fix it. And then I move on. Yeah. So um, a thankless job, man. How many hours a week do you spend as our president? Probably about 20. And you know how much you get paid an hour, Nick? I would bet that's a big fat zero. <laughs> you you it. got it. You are on it. <laughs> yeah. Man, so when you see guys like Jay, when you see all these other folks who serve on our board, understand that most of them don't put 20 hours a week in, but most of them put some. And they're doing this for free. So either become part of the solution or be thankful and, and give input to those who have. And Jay, thank you for the 11 years you give. Thanks, sir. Um, now... How many jumps did you make in a day again? <laughs> 640. 640. Now, I want to go backwards. Okay. You did that in 2006. Did I get that yeah, date right? Yeah, 2006. I want to go back, though, to May 31st, 1995. What's that okay. date important for? That was when we set the first record at Rayford, North Carolina. And we did 331 jumps in 24 hours. Now, first of all, Rayford, North Carolina, 331 jumps in 24 hours. That's a huge number. That's four minutes and 21 seconds per jump. That's, yeah, that is. <laughs> sure. Even that is such a crazy number to think about. It is. That we were, fast for... We were using 182 aircraft, you know, small Cessnas, four-seater Cessnas, and we were just flying one airplane at a time. It was really a very slow process. But uh, Still getting at, out of 2,100? Getting out of 2,100 feet or 2,000 feet. 
and uh, so most of these records were set with a BSR of two thousand feet. Yeah, the last one, the BSR basic safety requirement, um, it was our skydiving regulations. Our rule was then twenty five hundred feet. Right, but so you got we wavered it. Yeah. And that was that was pretty easy. I think you knew enough friends who were willing to yeah. waiver it for you. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, maybe a little bit of experience. I guess I, I, I think half of the staff for that event could have waived the BSR form. I'm pretty sure <laughs> of it. I really am. We had a lot of people out there. Oh man, and and I want to get to that here in a second because that number is coming up. But then you do it two years later, November 27th, 1997, in Summerton, yep. Arizona. Right. And How that many? Was, you, uh, 384. Three minutes and 45 seconds per jump. Dude, I can't. I can get in our super fast, super caravan. It climbs like a beast. Do a hop and pop and not get out that quickly. I mean, that that's ridiculous. That's a good time. <laughs> are, are you the only one on these planes? You're the Actually, only passenger. Uh, on the first couple of times, I was the only one. But then we realized that we, because it's a it's a joint effort. I needed a safety because if something happens to me, if it's the middle of the night and I'm just not really paying attention, I'm going to be in trouble. So we started having a safety on board to make sure that I was cognizant, that I was aware of what was going on. And that was a good move on my part. Because as we did it, when we did it again, we actually used turbine aircraft. When we did it in 99, we were using a uh, turbine porter. And what I didn't realize was that your exhaust system is coming right into the door. So having a safety on board, right, helped me out because he realized what was going on. So we would rotate the porter out to let it get fuel, and, and I'd take maybe a 20 or 30 minutes of flight time with a 182. So it would allow me to get fresh air, kind of regroup a little bit. But it did slow us down because the porter was obviously faster than a 182. Uh, but on that one, we did 476 jumps in uh, November 99. And then you go to Skydive Elsinore in 2003. And Elsinore is actually where you made ESPN. Was that the first time you've made ESPN? Uh, you know what? It probably was. I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah. yeah. And it was uh, top 10 plays of the day on ESPN. Bigger venue. It was a bigger venue, of course. Yeah. And uh, I think you made number one yeah. that day. Number that one, neat. top 10 play of the days of ESPN, dude. That's so awesome. How many jumps did you make in 03 in Elsinore? That was 534. And that's two minutes and 42 seconds per jump. Now, to me, that's one of the more impressive records. The, the Cessnas are just mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. The 640 is mind-blowing. But how was the weather during Elsinore? We had about 10 hours of rain, and that sucked. That really sucked bad because it wasn't hard rain. It was just enough to make it miserable, enough to get you wet. You'd get out, and you'd be soaked. You'd land the canopy, drop your parachute, get another one on, get on the airplane again. The runway was getting wet. The pilots were taking a beating. One of our aircraft went down on that event. We, we lost time because of the weather. So we probably would have done more, but because of the weather, it just, it just kicked us in the gonads. It That's really the porter that got a little tail damage? Yep. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it, the, the support crew Jay has is immense, and one of the dangers is your near aircraft as they're moving, taxiing, and taking off. And I believe there was a little incident of the airplane moving and one of the safety guys getting knocked in the head by right. it. Well, here's what happened. Uh, basically, and his name was Rich, and he was a retired Marine, and he was trying to help out. And he was trying to get something to me, like a, a bottle of water. And what he did was, as he turned to leave, the airplane was, was lifting off. And it hit him dead in the chest. Okay. And it knocked him down. The pilot didn't know what was wrong. Something was wrong with his uh, rear horizontal stabilizer. He wasn't sure. So he landed, checked it out, and it was damaged badly. About $2,000 worth of damage. 
Rich didn't mean to do it. No. He just didn't get out of the way in time. Yeah, it's it's a high speed operation. There's yeah, there's really no doubt is. about it. So that that was impressive. And dude, he look right next to you, Nick, is a bookshelf, and those DVDs and that stack of DVDs, shit cases, is actually your Elsinore video attempt. Do you remember that video? Put, that I put do. Together? Yeah. And he yeah. looks like a prune. He looks like oh, a yeah. raisin man shriveled up. It was tough. The gloves, I mean, they were so wet, soaked that you had black stains on your hands, along with the prunes. You know, it was really bad. And I felt my age on that one. Buddy. Well, what year was that? Oh, that was in... 03. 03, so I would have been 47. And at this point, you've done them almost every other year, and you took actually a, a, a little bit longer break then and a little bit longer yeah. break again until 06 in Greensburg, Indiana, where right. you and I had met. And you did it again, and this is where you did 640. Yeah. Every two hours and 15 minutes, you yep. made a skydive. But no, yeah. say that, say two that again. Two minutes and 15 seconds. Two minutes and 15 seconds getting out of it. How, how long have we been recording so far, Justin? Uh, we're at 24 minutes. So you would have done 10 like skydives by now? 10 jumps by now. That's insane to think about. 10 canopy landings. Yeah. So I kind of want to start. I want to park there. I want to get to actually the last attempt and talk about it okay. as well. And then sure. we're going to piece together what goes on yeah. in these events. And, and unfortunately, the last event was a little bit sad. I did get to make the last event. Uh, I believe it was 2014. 14, right. And we were in Frankfurt. Frankfurt, Indiana. And it was in September. And we selected the date based on indicators were that that was the best time of the year to do it. The weather should have been very cooperative. We had, it was the best supported event of all of them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the weather got in the way. It was an extremely, so I, I lived in Indiana for four years where Jay and yeah. I worked together. And for September in Indiana, especially northern Indiana, yeah. it was extremely hot. I believe we were looking at triple degree right. temperature, triple yeah. digit temperatures. Wow. In uh, September still. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So the climb rate of the plane was just skunky. Yeah. And then with all this heat, we had a lot of thermal activity. We had a oh, lot of turbulence. I was getting beat up. We had a lot of, uh, uh, we eventually had a storm roll through, and a storm rolled through around 11 p.m.-ish. And you might know the time more exactly. Actually, it was closer to 8 p.m. It was, okay. it was almost 12 hours, like 12 hours into the event Okay, was when the storm come in. And we didn't know what was going to happen. What we did know was that when it came, it was going to stay. And it did. It stayed for the rest of the night and on into the next morning. So, And this wasn't just a, a weak storm. This was like 35-mile-an-hour winds and a lot of rain just, just pounded us. The stuff we deal with today, or you, you, I, maybe you saw it in Austin as well. It was, weather was pretty decent at all. You know those dark red bands yeah, that we I, see? I know the, the ones we've been having the last few weeks. Yeah. It, it stayed that way for most of the night. Yeah. And when it wasn't that way, it was just cloudy and rainy no matter what. So that one unfortunately got shut down, and our goal was 700. Yep. And I say our goal because, man, there is a team supporting this process. Yeah, huge. It was like 125 people. Like I said, it was the best planned event. The, but what killed us was the weather. So we had five aircraft. We had 125 <laughs> people to help. We had 27 rigs. We had everything in place except the weather. That's, that's what we needed. So that 700 would part. bring it to two minutes per jump? Is that two right? 205. Two minutes and five seconds. Wow. I need to shave 10 seconds per jump. So <laughs> what, what, what main are you jumping on this? Um, my normal main was a Spectre, and it would be a 170 or 190 because, again, you're jumping at night, jumping in different conditions. You want to land fairly close to where you want to get on the airplane at. Uh, I had quick ejector hardware on the leg straps and on the chest straps so I could get out of the harness really fast. Mm -hmm. Literally just drop it and go. Uh, it was also easy to get back on, get on the aircraft. I had my support guy on board the aircraft with oxygen. 
uh, with water, other things. And, I mean, it was, like I said, it was the best, the best planned event. Unfortunately, the weather just beat us down. Logistically, it was, we were yeah. ready. No I want to go back, and you just said a lot of things to me that were very plain English. Yeah. But I, I've seen these things. So I want to start, let's, let, let's go back a little bit. We're going to talk about just the equipment. Okay. So Spectre mains, uh, you still jump with Spectre as you, one of your I mains. do. One of my canopies is a, is a Spectre 190. And I still use that for demonstration jumps and other things. I really love it. Yeah. I love my Spectre 120. I jump a little bit smaller canopy just because I'm uh, crazier than you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just like a little bit higher wing loading. It's this young whippersnapper and his tiny little handkerchief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 120's tiny, right? Dude, I feel like my 84 is big. So I look. A lot of my buddies jump really tiny canopies. You jump yeah. a what? 71. So oh, an 84. Yeah. No, it's in, not the smallest one around. In our group of friends, an 84 is a boat. Let's be real. I would say it's, it's right around average in our group of friends. A lot of our friends jump yeah. a lot of smart canopies. Than I, that, yeah, but I mean, 70s yeah. and 80s, that's all pretty common. Yeah. But uh, I love my Spectre. And I said, one of the reasons is your choice of canopy for this event was a long, soft openings. That was part of it. And also the fact is I could land it where I wanted to. Because as it being a seven cell, it would give you a little bit of latitude as far as accuracy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't need to swoop anything. I just needed to land where I needed to land at uh, every time. Yeah. And that's, you know, on a no-win day, you run. Imagine running out 640 landings. You know, I've heard a couple friends talk about this, and we, they've asked me about sizes, and I would tell them what size you jump, and I'm like, hey, that's his normal size. Yeah. But B, bro, go run out 640 landings. Yeah. Even on a Spectre, go run out 640 landings. You're going to get beat up. And uh, so smart canopy of choice. But then how, so you get under canopy, and you want to get down quicker than me. Right. So what did you do to get down quicker? Well, uh, a friend of mine named Roy Fox, who was part of the team that designed the deceleration devices for the space shuttle, right, super guy, he came up with an idea to attach a single line to the number two B cascaded line. So basically what you do is at the point of attachment at the top, number two in from the end, right or left, it didn't matter, you would attach up a single line, route it through the, the uh, slider, and then go ahead and bring it down to a toggle. A loop and when you pull that down it's it's like you just pulled down the whole right or left side of your parachute and it's coming out of the sky really fast mechanical <laughs> you advantage. had a spiral wow. toggle is that what you're telling me yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would allow me to literally just almost collapse the canopy and come out of the sky and then about 100 200 feet i'd let that up go back to normal controls and i'd land the parachute at the beginning event, Roy was sitting there rigging. How many rigs did we, we have? In? Uh, 27. 27 rigs. And Roy was sitting there rigging 27 rigs. And at some point, Tom Parker was giving him a hand. Tom right. Parker is an engineer from Sunpath or Javelin. Yep. A super nice dude as well. Yep. And it, it's cool. It's crazy to see. You know, oh, yeah. I, you've described that to me over the years, and I never saw it done. And I stood out there, and I looked up, and I watched Jay Spire, and I'm like, holy shit. It, it goes. It boogies. It does. It gets... So you basically, you're relying, and we'll talk more about the spot and the aircraft stuff mm -hmm. later on, but you're relying on a great spot. So you can basically spiral down straight to your landing area. Sure. Yeah. Optimally, in your plan, in your design, how far down do you spiral before you're back to normal flight? Not, uh, I would try not to do it below 200 feet. Okay. Because obviously you still have to set up a, a downward basin final. Now, I just got to be clear for some people real quick. Normally, <laughs> man, you're spiraling anywhere below your decision altitude. 2,500 feet for new jumpers, 2,000 feet for me. It's my decision altitude. Canopy collisions get real. Malfunctions. Yeah. Canopy collisions are malfunctions. Below yeah. two grand, I don't want to have a malfunction. Right. 
keeping chill, calm, no bigger than 90 degree turns below your decision altitude is a super smart idea to avoid malfunctions, canopy collisions. Dude, we're so much safer. I think what you're trying to say is anyone who spirals below 2,000 feet is an asshole. Actually, in general, I feel that way about it. You know, one revolution is one thing, a full spiral, you're probably a dick or setting a world record. So back to Jay. Because he is is not a dick. Yeah, there's there's an exception to every rule. So you spiral down to 200 feet optimally, no lower than. And basically now you're on final? Go back to normal controls. I've already disconnected or unfastened my chest strap because I had a quick ejector on it. So explain quick ejector for our uh, friend. A quick friend. ejector, real simple. If you look on a tandem parachute system and you look at the lower lateral attachment points on a tandem rig uh, passenger harness, those are called quick ejectors. You can use a thumb and forefinger, reach over, pull out, and it releases the snap. It opens the gate. And I had those on my leg straps and my chest strap. So it was very easy for me, unfasten chest strap, come into land, my hands were already in the flare position, so all I had to do was let go of the control toggles, reach up, open those up, and then walk out of the parachute. So you, you know what a ghost rider is? Oh, yeah, absolutely. A ghost rider is swooping. You drop all the controls. You're swooping in your campies overhead. No, he had the legit ghost rider because there are <laughs> videos and pictures yeah. of dudes holding Jay's harness with him running away, and it's still flying. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite images in the world. Well, I'll try and work out that as part of my uh, new freestyle. I want to see it. I want to see it. So now you immediately unsnap them. You yep. run up to the next guy or the next gal. Yep, because you want to. You have the parachutes as close to the airplane as you can so that you're not running with 25 pounds of stuff on your back. So you get to the point. They throw the rig on, snap the leg straps, hit the chest strap, get on the plane, sit down, a safety on board will hook in a restraint device. And then kind of laid down on you a little bit, and we take off. I'm going to be a little more clear about this, because there's only one part of this operation I understand, and that's that guy. He gets thrown in the airplane at you on a wrestling pad. On the, So there's a little box. There's a little stool up there. But yep. there's prop blast coming. There's guys up there blocking the prop blast yeah. and a guy helping him in. And it's fair to say you've been tossing the plane a couple times. Yes, I have. And he's been <laughs> thrown at me. And when he gets tossed in, he's basically getting tossed in the plane, belly down sideways, kind of. You didn't catch him? No, and dude. kiss him on the forehead, tell <laughs> no. him everything's going to be okay? No. <laughs> Fortunately, I wasn't, kind of friend the, are you? I wasn't in the pee plane, so I didn't have to hold the pee bottle. So <laughs> I would dive over at the top of him and latch him in. And then with my other hand, I would grab the door, embrace, just in case I missed, because, you know, I'm not perfect. I, just was, I was just a little bit afraid. And when I got good enough that I felt comfortable, I would then end up with a bottle in my hand of whatever the rotation of bottle was. And I just laid on top of him till about, eh, we were a good few hundred feet off the ground. And he either grabbed the bottle or he didn't. Then you back off and you do a full safety check. You check his chest strap. You check his leg straps. You are his eyes. You are his safety. Yeah. I mean, really, he's trusting. I, I, I don't. Do you actually give yourself a full gear check? I don't. I never noticed. I was too busy trying to. I always check Help snaps. You. Okay. And I check the pilot sheet. That's okay. pretty much it. Yeah. And, and we're looking at everything we can. And, and, and to the point where when you're hooked in, you can start giving the check when you got comfortable. You know, so many rounds we gave you oxygen. So sometimes I yeah. dove over them with an oxygen cup yeah. in my hand. Sometimes I dove over them with Ensure. Was that what we were using? Uh, Pedialyte. Pedialyte. That was the best way to replace the electrolytes I was losing. And and Chris Nunn's plane had the pee bottle. <laughs> Um, (laughs) I tried to convince the pilot to spill it on him. And now we climb as fast as we can. Yep. Do you know what the rate of climb on that aircraft was? Probably, at times, we were making a 50-second climb to altitude. (laughs) Jeez. And we're getting to 2,100 feet in a rocket ship. Yeah. And basically, at about, I think, 1,500 feet, if I remember right, I start checking the spot. Yep. And when we get close, a couple hundred feet away, 
I immediately back up against the bulkhead. I throw my arm with an altimeter, big altimeter on my sleeve against the door, and he looks at the altimeter in the spot, and he gets out when he's ready. You're just there, and then they dive that plane down. Are they still climbing as you're getting out? Yeah, they're basically in that attitude. And as I leave, they they go into that attitude because yeah. they need to get down. And you, so you're getting out of 2100, mm-hmm. and the rules say that you're pulling a 2000. Right. Pack opening. That means that the pilot chute is out, the, the uh, bridle is extended, and the pack is open. Not inflated canopy. So you got to figure that that canopy took another couple hundred feet to open. And he pitches right out. There. There's no doubt in my mind, because I've watched it a shitload of times. He pitches within 100 feet of leaving that airplane. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, basically, you see you're clear of the tail, and as soon as you know that, he pitches. That, I mean, I'm just imagining how afraid I would be getting out of an airplane at 2,000 <laughs> feet. That's super low. I mean, I don't think I've... May, maybe I've done a jump from 2,500 feet. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. And that's like on a questionable weather day. Yeah. Like, we're going up to see if we can do hop and bobs. Hey, this is all we're getting. You want to get out? And I wasn't going to, you know, ride the plane down. But... Uh, if, so, if, if you told me right now, hey, we're going to go do hop pops from, from 2,100 feet, I'd say, no, thanks. I'll stay on the ground. <laughs> was, it, was it stressful at all for you, for you getting out that low? No, because, uh, again, back in the day, 2,000 feet was pack opening. So getting out low was not a big deal to us back in the day, and it just kind of was a carryover. Uh, I've also done base jumps, so yeah. not too concerned about that either. But uh, I guess it would unnerve some people just because they're so comfortable like you, you deploying your parachute at thirty five hundred feet. Yeah, normal That's jump. That's normal, yeah. but it takes what eight hundred feet. Yeah, seven eight hundred feet. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely don't want to get out twenty five hundred feet or twenty one hundred feet and with that canopy, right? Uh, I wouldn't like to. No. <laughs> no, that would be a bad day for you. Uh, when it opened. <laughs> right. So how how long does your Spectre take? Uh, about five hundred feet. That's not bad. Yeah. For me, the Spectre, it's it's not just the length of opening, but it's the consistency of yeah, opening. Yeah, it's very soft, on heading, real easy. I never even collapsed the uh, slider. I wouldn't have to worry about it. It's, it the canopy opens like a dream. And I, I, in the last days of the 2,000-foot BSR, the last month, I jumped almost exclusively my Spectre so I could pitch it two grand for a month. For a month, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this ever again. I'm going to enjoy it while I can. And I was never a two grand guy. I like to pitch three, three, five at those days. Now, three, five, four. Um, nope. It's, it's, I guess when you're used to it, like you said, Jay, it's, it's a different story. So now you're getting out 2,100 feet. Yep. And we're kind of getting through some, some of that gear. But let's go back to the safety officer guy. Okay. You got this idea in the last Summerton event. Yeah, because, uh, again, I was, my concern was that with that uh, open door, mm-hmm. with the porter, you got a bigger airplane, right? It's climbing faster. And the exhaust that was coming in has got to take its toll. Yeah. So, and that was a big problem. Uh, not so much for me because, again, we would take some short breaks. Uh, by what I mean by breaks is we'd go to the other airplane, a 182, doesn't have the exhaust issues. So now you've got clean air, and it's a longer climb altitude, so you get a little more rest. Mm-hmm. With the Porter, he's fast. He's really fast. It's, it's an extremely fast plane. And that year, you, I guess, as you figured out the oxygen problem or the air mm-hmm. problem right. during the event. Yes. So you used a porter for the second time in Elsinore in 03? Yes, two porters, actually. And did you go ahead and go with oxygen during that event? We did. Okay. Sure did. And how, so 
even even when we got to Greensburg and we were using packs and and caravans as well, I believe is what we use there. Uh, two packs and one porter actually. One porter. And we had O2 consoles, small consoles on board all aircraft. How man, how do you think the Super Caravan or the Blackhawk would do with this event? I'm just totally sidetracked now. I got to think that it would be a little slower. I think the pack is probably the the fastest with two people on board. It's probably the fastest to that altitude out of all the other aircraft. Do you, have you tried anything with a Supervan before? I'm, I'm just curious to. We had a uh, we did use a Caravan for part of the one, the last one in 2014, only because we had to. We mm-hmm. couldn't get another pack. We wanted five airplanes. We got five airplanes. Yeah, I think Start helped us out with that one. Was that John or was yeah, that CSC? Okay, John Hart owned Start. But it was slow. Out. It was really slow. It was a dog. Super slow. Valerie was part of the timekeeping team, mm-hmm. record keeping team, I guess, uh, during yeah. that event, and she she came up to me. She's like, "That thing's." horrible we need to we need to change it out i I don't think we talked about how many total jumps you have unless i missed oh no i wanted it thank you i have over twenty five thousand three hundred now that's insane to me i feel i feel like you know i (laughs) that's only about 500 a year when you think about you do the math it's only 500 a year i mean guys today are doing a thousand fourteen hundred jumps a year you know consistently now they'll they'll hit burnout they may never see 20,000 because they'll burn out and they'll stop jumping. What keeps me okay with it is because I'm always doing something different. You know, I'm out here this week working with DJ with some candidates that are going to become in examiners. Uh, next week, I go back to work working with folks on their tandem rating. The week after that, I'm going to France, and I'm going to do a tandem jump with a World War II veteran. After that, I come back, and I'm working for tactical air operations in San Diego on a military contract. So it's always something different. So you mix it up. Yeah, that's and that's what keeps it fresh. All right. So with with your uh, twenty five thousand plus jumps, what's your favorite airplane to jump out of? Ooh boy. <laughs> you know, that's a tough question. It really is because there are different aircraft that have a different meaning. I think one of the neatest airplanes I've ever jumped out of was the C five Galaxy, which is I don't even oh, know what shit. that is. It's the one of the largest jets in the military inventory. Until the C five Galaxy, can we have a picture of that, Justin? Until the late eighties, I think the late eighties, it was the largest aircraft in the world, and yeah. then Russia trumped it. Yep. But I've also jumped out of Soviet-made aircraft. I've jumped out of, shoot, a lot of different things. Oh, that thing oh, is gigantic. <laughs> what How many people said. were on this load? Uh, that one we didn't have very many people. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a picture right now of what's uh, amazing is giant that helicopter thing, being unloaded out yeah, of this. Plane. It can open up the nose and the tail, and you can load and offload at the same time. That's what it's <laughs> built for. But they wanted to do some testing years ago to make sure that it was safe enough to do static line and military free fall ops. So we got the the tag testing. to go do the testing <laughs> jump. Yeah. So there weren't very many of us on the plane when we did it. A dozen. It's like running on a football field with about eight or ten people, you know. But wait, so. you think a dozen people on that plane? Pulled up now. Twelve? Jesus, criminy, man! Justin's got. It. If you're watching on Facebook Live, I, uh, C5 Galaxy. It's when you see them taking off, they don't look like they're moving. Exactly. And uh, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Spaceballs, Nick. Yeah, at absolutely. the beginning <laughs> when the ship goes cruising by, mm-hmm. I used to work out at a place called North Island in San Diego, a little naval air station. And I worked by the runway, and we'd watch those things take off, and you felt like space balls was going by, just like da 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 da. She's gone from cr- suck to blow. <laughs> <laughs> Ludicrous speed now. <laughs> 
Those things are ginormous. So that's your most unique. Well, it's an, it's a novelty to be able to do that because not very many people can say that. Uh, C seventeen have jumped. C one thirty. C one forty one. Uh, a lot of different C one twenty three. A lot and of is it because your military experience mm-hmm. to get you access yeah. to all these fun planes that I'll yeah, never get to jump out of? For sure. Oh, isn't a C seventeen the military name for a DC three? No. Which C- one's a DC three? Uh, C forty seven. And I've jumped one of those also. Okay. So, but uh, I've been very fortunate because of the military background. You know, twenty four years in the army, I was able to do a lot of things there and then convert that into the civilian side. So, I mean. You kind of, I guess you got to look at it like half my time has been straight military and then the other half has been civilian. So, but it's always been tied into the military in some way, shape, or form. So what, what percentage of your jumps are military? Today, quite a few because I work for a, as a contractor to train the Navy in military freefall. So I'm doing this is probably a, it's San Diego, yeah? Yeah, I'm probably doing 500 jumps a year, just that, just, just on the contract. So, and they're considered military jumps. That's a company called TAC Air. Yes, Tactical Air Operations. And uh, oh, that makes sense. When I was at Skydive San Diego, mm-hmm. I couldn't get on load one because right because you guys were on it. That's right. How many people will you send in a load? Uh, Sixteen, eight students and eight instructors. Even if the military buys the whole plane. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it was working. out. I felt like the plane mm-hmm. was going pretty light when I saw it. Yeah, you might have seen. Uh, they do have other contracts going on with the explosive ordnance disposal units that come out and do some recurrency. So they might have had a lighter plane load, or the Navy parachute team even. They would have been lighter. But our, our loads are usually fairly full. But it, no, no civilians allowed, right? Not on that side, no. Yeah. There's a couple. There's a group out that goes to San Marcos and leases out the airplane, yep. uh, Marine Force Recon Reserve Unit, and they put commonly eight people in the aircraft. Um, yeah. Uh, actually, you'll meet uh, Gunny, Sar- Gunny Sergeant Allen. He's the active duty guy who uh, will be will be doing an IRC with him soon. Nice. So su- oh, super nice dude. And you know my heart for Marines. Yep. My dad was, you know that, Nick, a 28-year Marine, and, and I just, my dad served for our freedom and our country. He got, he actually got drafted during Vietnam. He got home, and there was a selective service letter on his, on his, in his mailbox, and he just left it there, and he went to Marine Corps recruiter's office and said, if I'm going to get drafted, I'm going to pick, and he picked the Marine Corps. Which is probably one of the harder thoughts, you know. He could have gone to Air Force Tough. and made his life easier. Yeah. Did Did you ever ask your dad why he joined the Marines? Um, a uh, he just had a lot of respect for them. The few, the proud of the Marines. There's sure. a little bit of dignity. Um, Marines typically have a very special mentality of the few, the proud of the Marines, and he really liked that. And then he also knew that he had a good shot at uh, Ma Marine Air Wing. And he, he knew if he would go in the Marine Air Wing that he would probably serve in the Eastern Theater, but not in Vietnam. And lo and behold, he served in Japan. Uh, for And him and Mark Fields actually knew each other in the Marine Corps, R-A-M-P. So Mark and my dad knew each other just briefly in passing. But when I asked them both each other's name, like, oh, yeah, I know who that guy is. So uh, if you ever notice, Mark and I have a very special relationship. It's because we really do. He's, he's, I Dude, love I him. love Mark. Mark's one of my favorite people. <laughs> He's a blessed man. Did you see him running around with his shirt off the last couple oh, of days? Oh, I absolutely saw that, yeah. Dude, he's a big fella, so you kind of assume he might be a little bit chunky, and he pulls that shirt off, and no, he's just a... He's just a big dude. Barrel of a man. Thick yeah. fella. He crushed me like a bear. <laughs> so, and Jay, you worked with uh, our boy Mark in Indiana. Yeah, sure did. Nice guy. Nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. He actually was going to do, what was it, 60 jumps on his birthday? Yes, 50 60 jumps on 60. On his birthday. So, that was pretty neat. 
um, I do not. I don't think that I was there for that event, though. Yeah. I don't think I was able to get to it. I wasn't either. I, I want to go back. I've got so many other questions. And do you Nick, need a beer, Jay? That would be a great thing. What, it, you're a Corona guy. Yeah, I'm Corona guy. And if you want any of the scotch, I'll, uh, please let us know. But this is definitely one that has a little bit more kerosene to it. You got a bottle opener over there, Mr. DJ? Oh. Yes, sir. So I, I want to kind of go back to the record attempt. And I kind of want to go back to the, the, the physical and the emotional abuse that you go through. <laughs> and part of it is is preparing. Um, you know, some people might think you work out extensively. And that's not necessarily the truth. But part of your preparing is I watched you drink some real weird shit six months before these events. You remember what I'm talking about? What was it? Do you remember? Oh, cayenne pepper was in this drink. Oh, yeah. I was doing... Yeah, I got you. (laughs) Uh, The lemon... Is this the master cleanse? It's the master cleanse, yeah. Cayenne pepper. um, Molasses. Not molasses. It's a syrup. It's maple syrup. syrup. Yeah, it's maple syrup. Grade B or grade A. And, uh, yeah, warm water. Eight ounces of water. Two tablespoons of the syrup. uh, An eighth of a teaspoon of cayenne pepper, right? and uh, about a half a lemon and you'd mix it up and that stuff would just really help to cleanse your system now have you ever done this and don't steal his kombucha jay will steal that if you leave it too close (laughs) (laughs) i'm a kombucha guy i drink one of those a day and yeah i don't know if i believe in the health benefits of kombucha or not well, if I, I believe in them, whether it's psychological or not. Yeah, it I might, it might be some yeah. snake oil, but that shit tastes good. Yep, it sure does. Have you done the master cleanse before? No, I, I had a few friends do it when I was uh, when I was younger, so I had a front row seat, but I've never done it. I don't know. If a front row seat's a good description of this. <laughs> so literally, you drink this how often and how many? Like for how? Well, long? you do like six a day, and you're you're actually fasting when you're doing it. So that's taking the place. So you'll do a six day or a ten day. Uh, the weird part is, and this is the strange part, and this is. We can talk about some weird stuff, right? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, in the morning, what you would do is you would take a quart of water, and you would take two tablespoons of unodized sea salt, okay? And you'd mix that into the water, and you drink that quart of water. Now, it's tough to get down because of the salt. When you drink that down, you better be close to a toilet because 30 minutes later, you're going to work. <laughs> yes. And it is, it is taking everything out of your system. It really works really well. And uh, obviously, I used that the morning of the event each time because that helped to clean my system, and I didn't have to go poop. They have to drop one in the middle That's of the right. day. That's right. I would hate to have been on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> so you're drinking this for six days, once a day, that, that mixture? Yeah, that would be in the morning on an empty stomach or as close to empty stomach as you can, right? Because you've had food the previous day yeah. or whatever. But the 10-day master cleanse was to get everything out of your system. And the unodized sea salt and water would help to, to basically scrub your blood. And it works. I mean, it works really well. Man. And then you ask piss salt water 30 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> is that the essential? Is that it right there? Is that a good description? What's that? Ask piss salt water. <laughs> yeah. It definitely works like yeah. that. I've always called them piss shits. I took a piss shit. That's about how it felt. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's I, interesting if if you uh, chugging salt water. If you've drinking poison, if you've been poisoned, they would tell you to chug salt water because it it right. induces vomit. So it's a hard thing to keep down. Huh? Some of this sounded appealing. All up to the I can't eat for more than four hours. Then that really broke my heart. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's I like eating, and then there's something pleasant about it. Yeah. Now, what else do you do though? What else do you? I mean. 24 hours of being awake is hard enough. Nick yeah. and I stayed up till 2 in the morning together a few times recently, and that sucked. 
being awake 24 straight hours. But you're doing something. I mean, you're physically employed getting out of an airplane. Every two minutes and 10 or 15 seconds, you know, you're leaving. So your adrenaline is, is up almost all the time. You're not going to get tired because you're, you're in motion. Uh, you're in the plane for 50 seconds, so yeah. you don't have enough time to take a nap. You're under canopy for 50 seconds. If you take a nap under canopy, good for you. I mean, God <laughs> exactly. bless you. Exactly. We actually, you know we had a narcoleptic skydiver in Indiana? I did not know that. Uh, remember mm, Sabrina, I believe was her name? She was dating a guy named Kurt. Um, I, uh, I do remember Sabrina. In fact, her and, her and Kurt both jump over at Stark. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, they were very active. Uh, she made weight belts at some point. Yeah. Uh, Bob Doherty asked me one day, hey, will you go pick her up? She lives like 30 minutes from you. Hmm. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. He goes, now, don't be weirded out by this. But you, you want to know she's narcoleptic, so she's not allowed to drive. So if she falls asleep randomly in the car, just oh, know she's narcoleptic. Wow. And I looked at Bob. I'm like, what the fuck? How does she skydive? He's like, think yeah. about it, dude. Noisy plane, noisy free fall. She doesn't fall asleep during that. Right. But about five minutes into the car ride, she's not being rude. She's, she's narcoleptic. Out. Yeah. Wow. And she actually, the whole car ride, never fell asleep. She was very, very nice, very pleasant to deal with. Huh. But that was weird to hear. Narcoleptic skydiver. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right. Wow. So what else do you do to get ready for this marathon? Actually, I used to run. But then for the last couple of times, I've, I've done bike rides. Because bicycling is a little bit easier on the joints. So I do... Uh, 12 mile bike rides six days a week and then i do weight training four to five days a week and how long before the event do you start this fitness oh, cycle nine months and then i start tapering off as i get closer to the event and the week of what are you doing not much <laughs> conserving <laughs> not energy much, yeah just trying to relax and trying to get you know focused on the, the task at hand it's uh it really leads to the idea of peak performance yeah it really does uh, the, the first man who broke the four-minute mile, what did he do three weeks before he actually broke the four-minute mile? He went to the mountain and took some chill hikes with his buddies. The week of, he was back down to where he was supposed to be and still didn't do much running until the three yeah. days before. And that relaxing and giving the body that rest yeah. is super important. So now you're in the event. What is the physical hardest part of this? Your knees, your back? You're not really, I mean, some of it you're not even thinking about because it's just everything's in motion. So because you're in motion, you don't feel the stresses. When you stop, that's when you start feeling what's, what's gone wrong, like the little aches and pains. Or when you hit the edge of the airplane on a hard spot, it, it clanged your knee and that hurts or your elbow or whatever. Uh, or on one of my landings, I was coming in and I was actually sliding on both feet, kind of like what I used to do for tandem. And my... And my, this foot caught a little bit of a hole and rotated back, so I hyperextended the knee. So little things like that, but you don't feel it until later. Once you stop for any length of time, then you're going to realize real fast what's wrong. <laughs> so basically, when you say later, you mean most of the time at the end of the event? At the end of the event. Well, like during the, during the Greensburg event, when we were done, uh, they did a, somebody else went up. Gene Newsom and some of the guys from Fast Tracks went up and did a, a big flag jump. But I went in and got a, a leg massage, 30 minutes, from Richard's wife. Oh, my God, Cindy. that lady. And She's she worked, magic. She worked me over, which is great because whether I realize it or not, a lot of blood pools in your legs because of all that, that activity, those spirals. Everything's going, gravity sucks, right? Mm -hmm. So, And after all those landings and all that, that time under canopy, her massage my legs made them feel great. 
I mean, it, it was so much better after that. Excuse me. Then I came back out, did the interviews and some other things, and I stayed awake the rest of the day. Dang, so not even 24 hours. Now, now you're just saying, screw it, let's go for 48. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> 36. Now, what did I do? Well, after the interviews, we, we, I did the, uh, the massage. Mm-hmm. It took 30 minutes while, while some other things were going on, and I napped at that point because I was so relaxed. When I came out, though, then I did the interviews, talked to people, walked around, did some things, kept moving. And then uh, about 6 p.m. that night, took the family out to dinner. I did not drive. They did. Went out to uh, one of the local places, had some food, came back, 7 o'clock, went to sleep, slept 11 hours, got up, and I was fine. What a fancy place to go out to eat. Yeah. Greensburg, Indiana. I know. <laughs> Where did you guys go eat? I have to know. <laughs> I think it was ring, Wings and Rings or whatever. Okay. That place had changed to or 20 Billy different things. work at. Yeah. Yeah. Greensburg, Indiana, there, there's not many choices. Chili's no. is the big fancy place in town. El Reparo. El Reparo. <laughs> I still have an El Reparo shirt. I oh, actually wow. got one from one of the kids. We, we worked there. Uh, we worked out at an exchange. Chili's is a five-star five, five star restaurant? In Greensburg, in it Greensburg is. In Greensburg, it is. And in that restaurant, that Mexican no restaurant, uh, uh, what did we say the name of was again? El Reparo. They actually have no cockroaches. There's a picture of me that hangs in the front. Prevents any of them from coming in. <laughs> <laughs> I took the owner on a tandem skydive. Yep. And uh, I took the owner, and then uh, this little server kid, I forget his name right now, but he used to give us shit. He would walk up with your food, and he would tell you everything wrong that you did in order. And he would put the right thing down, but he messed with us so bad, yeah. so bad. And when it was time for him to do a tandem, I got to take him on a jump. I said, hey, you said you want to do flips? He goes, no, 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 I do not want to do flips. All right, cool, we're going to do flips. And the whole ride up, I told him we're going to do flips. And he kept yeah. arguing. And actually, what I did is I left, set the drogue, and did a 360 on the hill, which feels like a flip to a student. You know, think about that. For sure. Right here, and you just do a 360. You did a flip to them. Students to this day who argue I want to flip, I stop arguing after two times. Yeah. I'll see what I can do, but you can't tell my boss I might get in trouble. And then I go out, I set the drogue, and I do a 360 on the hill, and they're like, oh, I did a flip. I'm like, good for you. One guy called me out and goes, we did a 360. I'm like, okay, you're right. Good for you. You noticed. Um. You, you're, you're worn out. You're tired. Sorry, I get distracted. You got, you got, uh, you're not tired. So no physical wear and tear, really. Well, my knee did hurt because I did hyperextend yeah. it. I did get it checked out. wasn't uh, damaged or anything, but it sure didn't feel very good. I, I think uh, Frankfurt's a little bit different story. One of the problems yeah. we had in Frankfurt is the wind was coming across the runway. Yeah. And where Jay was really, it was land near the airplane super turbulent or land really far away and really crush and kill the time so for a while we risked landing near the airplane yeah that was not good and he was getting prop wash and gosh i worked with you for four years and i think i've seen you biff in two landings maybe in four years which we all will do you know i say biff in not even biff and slide in and i saw you oh man i'm sorry to say it this way but you ate shit oh i know time (laughs) after time after time and actually when i got on the plane i think i had a uh, early afternoon shift as my first one You asked me what the hell was going on, and, and I said, dude, so in that event, you were feeling it. Yeah. How was that physical? I mean, that neck. was tough. I yeah. mean, that was beating me down. Plus, I was, what, 57? I'm 62 now, so I was 58. 58. You know, so, yeah, that was kicking my butt. But damn, you're in good shape, man. <laughs> yeah, you can say I'm 62, but let's get down right now and do a push-up contest. I'm going to tell you who's going to win. You well, are. Maybe. No, I'm pretty damn sure of it, man. I, I'm, I, I would put money on you unless you throw it. So, <laughs> so there's no physical wear. What about the emotional wear? Well, I mean, you're, 
you know, the landings, like you said, they were they were just kicking my butt pretty hard, and it was just really disheartening to me because I'm 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 thinking I'm going to do really well, and all of a sudden I'm not. That's why we started landing further away, and they would put me on the golf cart and run me over. Yeah, which helped a lot. But as you well know, toward the end, the winds were just really terrible, and it didn't matter where I got out at; you were not going to get a good spot. Yeah. And uh, the last landing, I was just a little bit outside of the lighted area, and I just I missed time to flare and just. I crushed myself on that landing, and that was it. When I hit that time, I was down for the count. We can't, Valerie and I, we, we actually spent time with your boy Nick. Yep. Uh, Nick, great friend of mine, love that guy. Um, and we came back, and we walked. No planes are running. We see a storm coming, so we're not shocked. And Jay is sitting in the office with a bloody face and oxygen yep. to his face. And oh, oxygen is yeah. not shocking because you just need a recovery, but the yep. bloody face was pretty shocking. Yeah. They also started an IV on me because I needed some uh, liquid, yeah. some fluids. You got dehydrated very early on in that event. Yeah. And, and you looked, I, I hate to tell you, I don't know if I told you that day, but you looked real rough when I got in the well, plane. I looked my age. <laughs> and, and that's amazing because you don't normally look your yeah. age. I mean, you don't look a day over 65. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> no, I love you, bud. Um, what about the other events? How emotionally wearing were those? Or any point, do you th- want to quit? At any point, do you go, I, this, this, I mean, I, I'm, I'm done. Well, but you know what's weird is <clears throat> you don't know what you can expect until you do it. So a lot of people that talk to me about, well, I want to do that. Well, okay, you want to do it. Here's how to do it. And what they fail to realize is is when you do it the first time, it is amazing what kind of anxiety hits you at certain times of the night or in the early morning or whatever. For instance, on the first one, it was probably 2 in the morning, and I'm just looking around like, what am I doing here? Why am I here doing this? And then you look outside, you look at all the people that are there to support you, and they're taking care of business, and they're doing what they can do to make sure you keep working. And you, you put it back in perspective, and you, you pull up your big boy pants, and you keep working. You keep doing your job. So, I think that's a perfect time to ask this next question. Why do you do it? <laughs> well, part of it, you know, originally was because I just had a desire to do it. Gene Paul Thacker talked to me about doing it. Uh, I had asked him those magic questions of what do you think can be done. Um, but the later events, we started donating money or or getting support for the Special Olympics and the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. So we were raising money for charities. And uh, we didn't raise tons of money. We raised a, a good chunk of money, but we also raised awareness for those two specific charities. And they're very near and dear to my heart because of Nick. He's a Special Olympian. And then because of my background in Special Forces and the Special Operations community. Can we share a little bit of Nick's story? Yeah, let's do that. So I, I met Nick, oh gosh, probably 03 for the first time. Nick's currently 38. 38 years old. So he's six years younger than me, and Jay's uh, son, Nick, has got cerebral palsy. Yep. And um, he has limited speech skills. Right. He's, he's also, what would you call it, back in the day we would call it mentally retarded, but that's not a good word to use. So mentally challenged, I think, would be the proper term. And I also don't, personally, I, I wouldn't even go with mentally retarded because he's sharp. Yeah, he actually is. People are very impatient with Nick because Nick can't communicate to us. Right. But he, he understands everything we're he saying. He does. Jay and I are sitting here having a conversation one night in front of the TV, and we put on ESPN for Nick, and he's throwing, not really throwing things at us, he's grabbing our attention to show us the Michigan score. Yep. And it's not the video, it's the ticker at the bottom, and it's the Michigan right. score, and he's a huge Michigan college yep. football fan. And he's like, and he gets our attention to make sure. Yep. You know, and once you start understanding, mainly grunts, I would say, is, is his form of communication. Pretty much. And sometimes, I mean, he can say certain words, 
He uh-huh. says no really well. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and sometimes he'll say yeah. yeah. Um, but for the most part, grunts, yeah. Or, yeah. or some sign language. A little bit of sign. And, and when you get more time with him, you start understanding his tone. Yeah, for sure. You know, he got me to understand fish tacos. And I was, I was, I made Nick's day when I understood fish tacos. And it made my day because I love, yeah. I love that boy. But Nick is actually, uh, Mr. Lot, I don't think, I don't know if you know this, I smoked for 13 years. Really? Yeah. I can't imagine you as a smoker. Yeah. The day before Thanksgiving, 2005, was my mm-hmm. last cigarette. And uh, I still crave them. Sometimes when I hang out at the smoker circles talking to my friends, I'm actually hit. I'm going. Really? Uh, yes. God, I can't <laughs> imagine. I've never once hit a cigarette. Oh, dude. It doesn't seem awesome in the least. For the most part, I don't desire them anymore. But there are regular days that I look at somebody. I'm like, look, man, I, I go to a gas station. I see my old brand. Camel Red Lights is what I And I'm like, what? <laughs> Wow, Get, uh, and I still crave it, man. But wow. Nick, he he had our buddy Gene Newsome help him write right. up a sign that said no, no smoking. smoking, and he followed me around and yeah. guilted the shit out of me. And I'll thank Nick because Nick was a huge part of the reason I quit smoking. I I, I didn't. The last time he rode my back, and he rode me hard oh, for about it. two weeks. Yeah, he did. He he beat me up. Um, I actually said I'm going to quit, but I'm moving to Indiana. I need to have cigarettes. No, I'm moving to Texas. I need to have cigarettes to make this drive tolerable. And when I get there, I'll quit. And I got here, and for about a month, I kept smoking. And I said, wait a minute. When I get here, I'm going to quit. Yeah. I quit. And I actually quit cold turkey. And I used the gum once, and I quit for two years. I used a patch, or excuse me, not a patch, a pill once, and I quit for like six months. I quit cold turkey, and I quit because I meant it. Um, Nick is, is a special kid. Yeah, he is. So... Share a little bit of his his story yourself. Well, I mean, when he was first born, we didn't really know what was wrong. And then he was later diagnosed with cerebral palsy. So at some point, he had oxygen starvation because that's what creates it. He's not debilitated. He competes in the Special Olympics. He just took first place in uh, the run, the 50-yard dash. He also took first place in the, in the uh, baseball throw and then fourth place in the softball throw. And he also played uh, not basketball, but he shot baskets. So he's he's competed every year in Special Olympics. He's always been uh, getting out there. He loves sports, no doubt about oh, it. Yeah. And it amazes me to no end that he can he can get books on the NFL draft because he loves the NFL more than anything else. Loves the Kansas City Chiefs. I that's Chiefs. the one starting out. Right? I, that's the one place I don't <laughs> like Nick. <laughs> and he will get the books out, and he will watch ESPN, and he'll watch the draft going on, and he'll line through and circle things, and it's amazing. You're right. I mean, he's he's probably as smart as anybody. Yeah, there's no retarded to him. No, not at all. He's a bright, bright fellow. He just has a communication gap yeah. and a motor skill gap. But you showed me a video of the Special Olympics. Yeah, where he was running. Was that the first place run? Was that the that finals? Was the first place run. Dude, it, there, it, it's not he close. He was smoking it. It's not close, man. It's like... It's like you get in a race with Eric Boyd's kid. You, you'd probably smoke him. Um, dude, Nick smoked the finals. He smoked did. it. He did. So what exactly is cerebral palsy? Well, the way that I understand it, it affects uh, the uh, motor function of the body. Uh, we could look it up, but it, does, uh, it is uh, connected to the brain, cerebral. Uh, palsy meaning what illness. So in, at some point, like I said, either the umbilical cord wrapped up or at some point he had oxygen starvation because it affects the brain. And that affects the other function, the motor function. And uh, 
that's where the Special Olympics becomes a large part for you. Yeah, for sure. And even actually in 14, you also raise money for Peyton Manning? Peyton Manning's Children's Hospital at St. Vincent's. Okay. And what, what is that charity about? That's all about, it, they actually allow, um, they have X number of beds, a couple hundred beds, and they bring kids in. It's kind of like Shriners Hospital. Uh, they bring in kids or uh, some of the other hospitals that are just specifically for children. Uh-huh. And they bring them in, low-income families. They give them rooms. What's kind of cool about Peyton Manning's hospital is that all the rooms are set up with sports figures as the theme. Uh, for instance, they might have one room with two beds in it, and it would be a Peyton Manning theme. So they'd have the Colts or maybe a little bit of the Colts, a little bit of the Broncos, football paraphernalia in there. Then another room might be a Jeff Gordon room, and they'd have NASCAR racing stuff in it. And, but all the rooms are set up like that. And uh, the kids are not necessarily terminal, but for the most part they are. So cancer victims, things like that. And, and that's one thing that maybe why you were attracted to me and maybe why you picked me up as a mentee <laughs> is you've always had a soft heart for people who need extra help. <laughs> you've always had a soft heart to help the, the underdog, really. That, you know, that is true. I've always, I've always looked at it from that perspective. I see people that are abused or that are throwaways or whatever, and I just I look, I look at them as a different kind of person. So I'll always go out of my way to help people if I can, especially the folks that don't have it as good as uh, some people do. And uh, it's just always been in my nature. Yeah. I would, I would uh, say there's only one person in my life that I've ever seen challenge you for having the kindest heart I've ever met. <laughs> and do you know who that man is? Anybody. You know it as soon as you realize it. There's only one man I would accuse to have as big of a heart as you. Well, I know it's not Bob Doherty. Oh, Hank. Hank the Tank. Hank the Barney Dinosaur. (laughs) Um, Hank absolutely has a passion and compassion. And unfortunately, sometimes it's misunderstood because sometimes his passion uh, clouds his delivery. And if you ever hear Hank be that way, guys and gals, it's because there's nobody who cares more than than Hank, or in this case, Jay Stokes. These are two people I know who care the most. Nick, man, I, I would love, one of the things I, I hope people can understand, and I want, I'd love you to share a little bit more about Nick, is, is one night you and I and Nick went to, and Valerie actually went to sushi, to yeah. Little Tokyo here in Paraland. Oh, yeah. And Nick orders a beer. Jay's like, you want a beer? He's like, yeah, I want a beer. And so we order him a beer, and that beer shows up, and Nick pouts over the beer. I mean, he looks pretty pissed at the beer and just sits there and just, like, he ain't having none of this. And Jay finally, after, gosh, I think we were at least 10, 15 minutes of this beer. Yeah. And Jay's like, you want me to have a beer? And, and, and Nick kind of says okay, but is not happy with this no. answer. No. And, dude, I've actually had a two-hour conversation with Nick to understand three words. And, and this, and then I'll use part of that to tell the rest of this Nick story for you. And I think it was 30 minutes that had gone by total before I said, wait a minute. Nick, are you waiting for me to have a beer with you? And Nick lit yeah. up. Yeah. And at that point, I wasn't drinking. That was part of my still wasn't drinking days. And Jay, actually, you were very polite. You're like, DJ, don't worry about it. I'm like, no. Nick, you want me to have a beer? And, and even if I wasn't drinking today, I will always have a beer with Nick, unless I'm working. And, and, he, and he's very respectful of that. And I found out that day, Nick wants one thing and one thing more than anything in life. What is it? Be one of the guys. Be one of the boys. Yeah. It's all he wants to be. And I love him for that, too. And... I don't hide him. I mean, when whenever I've got him around, we go out, we do things. Yeah. And it really doesn't matter what other people think. We enjoy life. 
And if you meet uh, Nick and then our good friend Adam Buckner, his son Tyler, yep. he's the same way. He wants to be one of the boys. He wants to be treated like the rest of us. Yeah, for sure. So if you meet a friend's family member who has different needs, if you meet a friend who has different needs, you don't treat him any differently. You treat him like one of the boys. And then that's where I think Nick fell in love with me is, is because I was willing to take two hours yep. to tell him to, to figure out what he had to say to me. And Nick means enough to my family that Nick is, A, very shy around women. You know, and picture an eight-year-old boy with a crush on a girl, and that's what Nick has with Valerie. Yeah, for N- sure. Nick speaks sign, right? Yeah. And what's his sign for Valerie? Isn't it, uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm this, right? No, this is girl. This is girl. I think this is Valerie. Yeah, I'm. He does something for beard for me. Yeah. And I thought I did beautiful this. for her or something. He does this. But he has the biggest crush on Valerie. The yeah. biggest crush. And our last trip together, he actually, and I don't think you got to see it. Vivian told mm-hmm. you about this. Yeah. He hugged Valerie. Yeah. And that's man, a big deal for him. But that's all he wants is to be one of us. That's it. So, I mean, if you wanted to share any more about Nick and, and, and how people treat and approach your son and folks like your son, what would you tell him? You've already said it. I mean, just treat him like one of the guys. Um, what's funny is I've also got another friend named Dwayne. Dwayne Hurd. Who, who came out of Indiana, who did a tandem jump with me. And he's also a special needs guy. And, uh, but he's not debilitated. He can actually drive, but he's still in a state-sponsored uh, home, mm-hmm. and he works for Home Depot. But uh, what's kind of cool about him is he adopted me. Yes. He really did. So because I treated him just like the rest of the guys and got him to meet with Nick, and they hit it off really good. So every year I have him and Nick come out for Christmas, and they spend Christmas with us. And uh, we just hang out and do whatever they want to do, and we enjoy life. And for me, Dwayne is even a more important story with that treat him normally because it's easy to make an exception for Nick because Nick's a little bit more obviously uh, has more obvious needs. Where Dwayne, actually, when you first meet Dwayne, you don't know he's special needs. You don't realize it. Very quickly, you start going, wait a minute. Something's not quite. And that's when people treat him really, really weird because they don't know how to act around him. Because they don't know how to act around him, they're rude to him unintentionally. Yeah. And Dwayne wants nothing more than you to treat him like yeah. you and I treat each Actually, probably better than you and I treat each other. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So. Uh, but he, he and Dwayne, or Dwayne and Nick, they get along so well. And Dwayne is, is uh, when he's around Nick, Nick is, is, is easier to be around. Yes. Just because they kind of play off each other. And feed off each other's energies and things. Laurel like and Hardy. It really is neat. It's really neat the way that they have a very special relationship too. They're like brothers, and uh, so it's always good to have them both around. It really is. It is. I uh, one of the jobs I had in 2014. You asked me to make it. Actually, you didn't even ask me to make a deal. You actually told me I asked if Nick was coming to your event, and yeah. you told me he wasn't. And there was a little bit of a burden. And I actually, <coughs> Val and I told you we would do everything yeah. we could to help. Yeah, you did. And I actually didn't expect to do be a safety officer because my goal was to help with Nick. Yeah. And Dwayne Hurd, man, that boy, he was really, I was just there to do whatever Dwayne yeah. told me to do. <laughs> I mean, he, he took care of business. Oh, yeah, he was good. I, I was really the driver. I was the guy who took him to dinner. I was the guy who made sure that they knew where their room was. Other than that, they were good to go. Yep. The, the other really special cause you had to this was the Special Warriors Foundation. Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Okay. And what that charity is about, anyone from the Special Operations community, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers, let's say they die in combat or training, well, what happens to their family members? You know, how, who takes care of them? 
So their organization actually provides funding uh, for follow-ups to the, to the family members that are survivors. Things like college, things like just basic, basic needs or mm-hmm. requirements. They're not going to buy them a house or anything like that, but they'll give them some assistance to find the right people to help them get a house or get the, the funding to send the kids to college and things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty neat organization. And what's really funny is if you look at organizations across the board, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of a shot at the Wounded Warrior Foundation, and here's why. When you look at charities as charities are, and you look at how much money is uh, put in somebody's pocket versus how much money is actually put back toward the charity itself, in other words, what it's there to do, mm-hmm. the Special Operations Warrior Foundation gets a B plus because almost all of their money goes back where it should be, and that's where it needs to be, right? Taking care of the members that they're dedicated to do. The Wounded Warrior Foundation is, gets a D. Why? For, because they spend so much money to do nothing, and they put so much money in people's pockets to do nothing. They don't really give back to the folks that need it or, or earned it or deserve it. They really don't. So you and say- that's unfortunate because they get the biggest uh, push on television and it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, Just check them out online. One of the things that I wondered when, when, I, when I first saw you did the Special Warrior Operations. Special, special Operations, Operations Warriors Fund. Did I say it right that time? Special Operations Warrior Fund? Foundation. Foundation. Special Operations Warrior Foundation. I want to make sure I, I remember this right for once in my life. Okay. Uh, special Operations Special Operations Warrior Foundation. They, I wondered why you didn't do the other one, and, and, and you explained that to me those days. Yeah. Now, how do I know they get a B plus? Is that a number you've given them? No, that's assigned to them by folks that actually look at the charities for what they are. I'll tell you in something else. Susan G. Komen, mm-hmm. they get a D. Yeah. Justin, 60, how- 65% of what goes to Susan G. Komen goes in somebody's pocket. It doesn't go for cancer research. Yeah. So you gotta you got to kind of look at the charities for what they are and do a little research. I want to do a couple of things here real quick. And one of them, do you know the name of the company or website that scores these? Op- these? No. You could Google it or look it up. So, Mr. Grubbs, I already see him going that magic yeah, way. And please find that out. <laughs> and I actually wanted to bring that up is, guys, gals, when you, you are supporting special groups or, or – or, or interest groups like Goodwill, look at what the CEOs make. Look at what yeah. the people on the board are getting paid. It's one and of the things I hate about Goodwill. So many people give to Goodwill. It's, they're just making money of all, all the free shit. Yeah. yeah. Now, it brings me to my favorite current, one of my favorite current mm-hmm. groups. And, 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 Nick, you know who I'm going with right now. Who's one of my favorites? Oh, I'm sure you're going to give a shout-out to Jump for the Rose. Jump for the Rose is, first of all, a skydiving organization, and you know Marion Sparks. I do know her very well. And, and a very blessed lady. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know, I got to teach her how to skydive. That is so cool. She is. is one of my, you know, I think you'd say your proudest moments are the people you train, not the things mm-hmm. you've done. And Marion Sparks is, 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 man, she is, I, I just, she gives back so much. And, and Jump for the Rose gives 100% of what they do. Their whole yeah. staff is voluntary. Voluntary. Uh, they give everything back to the Rose, and the Rose is not only a breast cancer group, but they don't do research, which I think is important, but they do cure. Yeah. If, if you need a mammogram in the Houston area and you don't have health insurance, go check out the Rose, therose.org. Ladies, guys, if you know a lady who needs help, check yes. out the Rose. The Rose is a large nonprofit, and, and I would be curious to how they score, knowing uh, Dorothy, the founder, and one of the doctors there. 
I'm positive their money dominantly goes back to helping ladies survive breast cancer. So go to jumpfortherose.org and or and go to the rose and check them out. And right now, Nick, do you know what the rose is? Or Jump for the Rose is doing? I just saw that beautiful Jeep that they're raffling off. I got yeah. to uh, put together some video for them for that. You've got wow. a good shot of it, so you tell me what that Jeep is. Gosh, I don't remember what what it is. Patriot. Uh, I believe so. Yes. I, I, I could probably pull up the two and a half minutes of video I have of that Jeep and see exactly what it is. It's a Jeep Patriot. I believe, and they're raffling off 500 tickets mm-hmm. at $100 a pop. Wow. So basically, you have a 1 in 500 chance to win a brand new Jeep. You have to pay tax, title, and... Uh, license. Thank you. Oh, wow. Tax, title, and license. You should know <laughs> I, that because you I just got a new car. two days ago, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know how fast my car is? His new car is way faster. So not even not even close. Yeah, I got a 435-horse car. He has a 707-horse car. So really, yeah, <laughs> you it's, wanna, it's in the driveway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the same color too. Yeah, it is. Ooh. It's red velvet pearl. It's Ooh. a Jeep. <laughs> red velvet pearl. It's a Jeep Cherokee. It's a Jeep Grand Cherokee with a Hellcat engine in it. Wow. So uh, one in five hundred chance to win this Jeep for a hundred dollars, and our good buddy Clark Shores. This is a twenty sixteen Jeep Patriot. And can you tell me the name of the group? Moore Chrysler Deep Dodge Ram and Slesby. And Clark Shores is uh, donated this, so uh, so a hundred percent of the proceeds are going to go. So we're we're going to raise fifty thousand dollars. Marion Sparks has raised one hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars for the Rose. Wow, one hundred fifty-seven thousand dollars is an impressive number. She's going to raise fifty thousand dollars thanks to this 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 dealership. Great. More just in that, and we just raised what four thousand dollars ish on a rig that they just raffled off. It's ballpark. I think that with the, the the crawfish boil we had raised up to that. So check out jumpfortherose.org. It's 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 we we they're not a sponsor of ours. They're not an advertiser of ours. They have nothing to do with the show. I just firmly believe in that lady, and and I think you would say the same. Um, I want to kind of lead this into the last conversation, and I didn't okay. realize I would have this. Con- I didn't realize this would be a thought process to me tonight Uh-oh. until it came to me. Here we go. And you have more than once in your life suggested that I would be capable of a 24-hour record attempt. I know you would, but you have to decide to do it. And I don't disbelieve you that I'm capable. My good friend Nick Lott has also helped me understand better that I'm capable of whatever I choose to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do it. Okay. But I have a friend who I think is very capable of doing it and hates himself enough that he would do it. (laughs) And I have a person that we should talk into doing it. Nick Lott, how are don't you doing, me, Don't tell me you're going to try and put this shit on me. <laughs> now, you need to give no answer tonight, but man, you should consider this. You're the perfect dude for this event. I, yeah. I don't doubt that I, had, that I would have the physical ability to do it, but I don't have any of the organizational reputation or any, any of that that helps to pull together a big event like that. That's, that's not in my wheelhouse, my friend. With so much respect to Jay, when the first time you did this, how much reputation did you have? Uh, that's a good question. Probably, I had a little bit because we were at Fort Bragg, yeah. but a lot of the things were donated too. Like the rigs were all donated from the Free Fall School. Yeah. I probably spent a total of about maybe four thousand dollars tops yeah. for everything, all in, to to support the entire event. Now, but here's something that you didn't have: 
you didn't have somebody with your experience True. to help support an event like this. You're right. So you could probably help organize and support support an event like this. Would you say that's fair? I could do that. I could help somebody. Somebody like you, somebody like myself, somebody like what we get to do and expose ourselves to probably could help promote this event. That's definitely a, yeah, we could. Digest that one day. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, I, I will say for sure, 100%, if you make this happen and all I had to do was show up and make 700 skydives, Away you go. All right. Hmm. We need to have... But I, there's a lot of work between between this and really that. There is, yeah. You're right about I, that. We will take this conversation a little bit further. Um, we could do it right now, but I don't, I don't think this is the right time and right place. Mm. But, Jay, I... I, I don't, I don't want to step on anyone's toes and assume that I'm the, the person for that job. I think that that's someone who uh, Mr. Stokes would have to well, elect gotta, to the position. you got to have a desire to do it. That's That's key. I mean, a lot of people say they want to do it or would like to do it, but nobody is out there banging down the door saying, hey, I have the real desire to do it, because if they had the desire, they'd make it happen. What would make this worth it to you to do? Raising something for somebody? Sure, raise money. Do it just. For, I would do it just to do it. I mean, um, How about you know, we I don't, how I don't, jump for the rose? Sure. That would be pretty cool. So you need a location, you need a time frame, you need equipment, some sponsorship would be easy enough to get a hold of. So let's let's just figure this moment <laughs> out for really now. Is this really getting pinned on me right now? Is this really what's happening? Let's yeah. figure this out right now. I'm going to ask a few easy questions, and then we'll just say, we're, this is, are you willing to consider, A, helping organize and figure this out with you and I tag teaming that? I would, I would be willing to help. Okay. What the fuck is happening? Nick, if we could help support this, would you be willing to consider this possibility? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Cool. There's way too much to talk about in the time we have yeah, left. For sure. Let's consider this conversation later on. And guys and gals, I'll tell you one thing right now. This may never, ever happen. There's a lot of bullshit that's been talked about on this show. Uh, <laughs> assholes with microphones is commonly what I hashtag. Yeah, how much, how much <laughs> of that scotch do you have in you right now? Oh, dude, half a glass. I took a very light load tonight. It's, uh, I, I've been in, uh, in a little bit of a, a learning brain mode this week, so I'm really trying to take it easy on my, on my mind. Um, so, no, half a glass. Uh, we'll talk about this later on, and and so I really want to kind of wrap this up. Uh, and, and Nick, I, we, we've still got fifteen minutes. Here. Oh, we've got a lot more. So this last section is, is or more. We've got half an hour because we started late. Yeah, we're going and we're going over. Time, we broke whatever. windows. Um, I want to not say wrap it up, but I, there's one more topic I want to cover for a little bit, and, and we're not going to go too far in the world of ratings because next Thursday night, a good friend of mine, who will be a brand new coach examiner, and who's about to be our newest coach examiner. His name is Christopher. Is that really his name? What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> Are you Come guys on. not talking about Chris Fudala? Chariss Toffer. Chariss Toffer. Why? Balake. Oh, it's <laughs> like that. We watched a uh, TV show on what was uh, it, YouTube, right? It was Key and Peele. Yes. Oh, is this a part two? Is this a part two of that same So, A, there is bit? a part two to that bit, mm -hmm. but yeah. there is no uh, Chariss uh, Toffer. Uh, so Jay has never seen the Balake and A. Aaron's get till last night. And one <laughs> of our candidates is a guy named Blake. Blake so. is from Skydive uh, Spaceland Dallas. And so he would call him Balake all the time. Yep. And so Jay saw that skit. So this morning, Chris turned into Chariss Toffer. And that's what we call them half yep. the day. Chariss. <laughs> Don't fuck with me, Chariss. We will go to war. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was funny. Was funny. Uh, Chariss Toffer. We'll actually be our guest next week, and we're going to talk about the journey to become a coach examiner. That's what he's on right now. Yeah. But what are you doing this week here in Houston? 
working on an instructor examiner rating course for the folks that you deemed were worthy to become examiner? I would not pin that much heat on me. <laughs> I deemed they were worthy of taking this course. And really, I didn't even deem that. Well, I got I mean, three you people together. You them, you sponsored oh. them, you, you brought me out here just for this event. So I'm going to assume that you really have a vested interest in them and I'll, that you fully support what they're trying to do. I'll be, I'll be fair to that statement. And I'll be very fair because I'll, I'll say the three people are Aaron, Aaron Dita Sanchez, uh, Chris Fudala, and Blake Eggenberg. And Chris Fudala is going to be not only the USPA's newest coach examiner, but Chris is going to be the newest coach examiner for the rating center. We've gone to this process together with the expectations he'll be working for me. Um, I don't support him. I encourage him. That's beyond support in my book. Chris has done a phenomenal job. And Nick, you've worked very closely with Chris, and he's grown the fuck up. He really has. And he's uh, recently started shooting video for us. And it's nice to see... I guess uh, the, the attitude of someone and their approach to doing something new, when you can tell that they have practice with refining you know, their craft in another way, that there's just a different approach that they have to it uh, than someone who's, who's totally brand new, who hasn't honed a, a craft like that. And Chris definitely has that where you can tell he's, he takes criticism very well and takes it very seriously. He listens, and uh, you can just tell he's very present with what's going on. I, I want to ask both of you guys a question about that. It, it's, it's, it's a very important thing to myself. Stephen Boyd and I have constant conversations about Chris, for example. How important do you think it is that when you give me criticism, I make excuses or reasons why I behave the way I do, or I just say, regardless of the reason, thank you and move forward? How important is that to your personal development and growth each? Mm. Well, no one likes to hear an excuse, right? We'd much rather say, you know, I would much rather hear you say, you know what, point well taken, let me see what I can do to fix it or, or move forward and improve. That's, to me, that's the best option. To me, that's the best thing you can tell me. Um, I hate excuses. Now, when it comes to your own personal growth, I, I've worked with you enough and, and really you've always been a leader within the groups we've been in, so it's rare that you get the criticism. But yeah, I've seen you take criticism, and I've never once seen you make an excuse for it. You say, you, you don't say these exact words, but your attitude is, thank you, I'll move forward with this information and better myself. How important, I mean, is, is when you make an excuse or you give a reason, do you think that hinders that growth? Or is, I mean, why? What? Part of me believes that it's a weakness. It's our weakness. We try to Get up on that microphone again. Okay. Part of it is I think that we find a weakness. And what I mean by that is this. If I make an excuse for something I've done, or I say, well, it's a legitimate excuse. Well, that, there really probably isn't one. The, the fact is things happen for a reason. They always do. Now, I got to say this. I was doing a demo jump. Here's an example. I'm doing a demo jump into, what was that, the L.A. Coliseum. And I'm supposed to be jumping smoke. Well, I didn't rig the smoke. It was rigged by somebody else um, who shall remain nameless. But when I lowered the smoke, one of the canisters came off and it went to the ground. Now, that was a potential for a fire hazard and a lot of other things, right? So it went to the ground. Nothing I could do about it. I landed, collected up my stuff, moved off the field. All of a sudden, we get visited by the fire marshal. Well, instead of throwing somebody else under the bus, I said, I'm the one that jumped it, so I'm the responsible party. What I figured would happen, though, is the guy that actually rigged it, who didn't rig it properly, 
would have done just that too. They would have stepped up and said, hey, you know what? This is on me. Mm-hmm. Didn't do that at all. Tried to play it low and just kind of get out of there without anything. So I don't care for people like that, and I never will. So I, I'm not going to make an excuse for something. I'll take, I'll take my lumps, as it were, and I'll move on. But in the grand scheme of things, too, I believe in karma. And if I do the right thing, whatever the right thing is at the time, then I'll probably be fine later. So that's kind of how I feel. But I do not like people that cannot stand up and take responsibility for their own actions. They want to blame somebody else. I got no time for that. How important is that to you, to your own personal development, Mr. P? Oh, to, to me? Yeah. Uh, like how Are you asking how I approach it when someone says I've done a thing? No, to your own, to your own development. Like the fact that you're, you're also the man who, if I give you grief about something, and I say give you grief, I give you constructive criticism, you'll take it. You might not like it. You'll digest it. Oh, yeah, I absolutely don't like it. It stings, <laughs> right? And I think that that's I, – I strive to do a good job in an area that I can because I hate that feeling so much, the feeling of knowing, like, hearing someone say a thing. You know, you can, you, you can try and make that excuse. You, you can. But any rational person, any reasonable person who is, uh, you know, able to look at themselves objectively to, to any degree, yeah, you're going to realize that there's probably some truth in any criticism that somebody gives you. And so maybe that's a part – of, of why it stings a little bit, but I find the more that I apply myself to things and the more I strive to do a good job, the uh, better things turn out and the less I have to deal with that, uh, that sting, that feeling that I, that I just don't like. But uh, almost every uh, area in my life that I can think that I excel, that I do well, I can connect that uh, drive, that skill set, whatever you want to call it, back to a moment of someone who I respect calling me out on that very thing and it's like oh yeah well don't want to feel that ever again <laughs> so so uh that's i guess that's how i deal with it i think this might be redundant i i've probably said this before on the podcast and, and nick you i know you've heard me say it i was taught by a guy named clarence sexton that if anybody ever says anything that offends you if anybody says anything that hurts your feelings immediately stop and don't say a word digest it it hurt your feelings probably because there was some truth to it and the part that hurt the most was the truth of it so stop and digest and respond the next day because in that time you'll either have a intelligent good smart statement to make or you'll realize the truth of his statement and you'll better yourself for it because you said it i don't want that hurt again so i try my best man and and and, and you've said things that have offended me uh, and, and not to offend me, you've said them to better me. You've said them to be constructive to yeah, me. So quit being Asian already, would you? I can't help it. <laughs> oh, I'm turning Japanese. Ooh. I'm turning Japanese. I'm Asian. You're short. Figure it out. Wait right. a minute. Yeah. Um, wait. Well, you're short. Not where it matters, though. Oh, <laughs> highly debatable. <laughs> you haven't <clears throat> talked to my girlfriend, have you? I have, and she's tiny, so she's not a good judge of size. <laughs> that's, maybe that's what I got going. For. Dude, you could put his girlfriend in your pocket and run away. Wow. She, she is really is tiny gal. Um, for me, the other thing is, is I've really been hurt. Uh, I've had a major injury in skydiving. My major injury in skydiving is I left a ginormous hole on the beach in Marco Island, Florida. I did a 270 onto the beach. I'm glad it was sand because I tore my calf muscle instead of breaking everything in my body. If it wasn't sand, I I probably would have broken. And on that jump, I thought about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, 
don't do this. Don't do this. What did I do? Exactly. Exactly. I pictured how I would fuck it up. I pictured where not to fly. I pictured where not to turn. I pictured exactly what I did. I was like, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. And you did. And to me, that's the making excuses things. Hey, DJ, you can get better at this. Well, the reason I did that, Jay, was this, this, and this. If I focus on the reasons I did it, I'm bound to repeat it. Yeah. If instead I focus on what you told me to fix it, I'm more likely to be successful. And really that goes kind of to the sports psychology and adult education principles we teach every day of our lives. So I I really hope, um, you know, I I don't know how we got on that tangent, but I really hope that it's, it's a life lesson that's really been valuable to me. So the instructor examiner rating course is what you're doing. Yep. What, what? Oh, I, I, I'm very proud of Chris Rudala. I'm sorry, yep. I had to. I have to make For sure. I, I threw him on our bus. I said I did not give them my gold name, but I did. I did. Erin is going to be uh, the newest tandem examiner for the rating center. Right. She has a couple other things to do. They're very minor. The rating center will be offering tandem courses in Spanish, and we'll be sending her down to various countries in Latin America nice. to help support our Latin uh, brothers and sisters who don't always have easy access to courses. We want to send a native to make life easier for them. Um, she is the first female UPT tandem examiner. Um, Mexican. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. That. Yeah, And that's from Tom Noonan. Yeah. She's the first Mexican. I don't know what I said. I said Angie Aragon. Is the first. Now, I, didn't mean, I, meant, I meant to... to yeah. To put another title to that. Yeah. The first Mexican female right. tandem examiner. Um, and then the third guy is Blake Eggenberg, who um, I recently got to meet, and I spied on this kid for a week. I was at Skydive Spaceland Dallas. He's a lead tandem instructor. I know this is his goal. And for a week, I didn't watch him to see if I thought he could be a tandem examiner. Yeah. I watched him to see if I think he could be a tandem examiner for the rating center. Uh-huh. And y'all know me. I believe people are good tandem examiners, and I still won't hire them. And I believe you feel the same about certifications and Of course. And I, I am all three of these folks are coming into the fold of the rating center. So I absolutely I endorse them. So you're here running a course with three wonderful people. What is the fuck are we doing this week? <laughs> Enjoying life as we know it. It's it's kind of easy in a lot of ways because they're switched on. They're they're prepared. They know what's required and they're they're motivated. They really are. And they're all doing really well. They're they're very good to take I wouldn't call it criticism, but to take their debriefing accordingly. Just like today when we were videoing their uh, training sessions and then we showed them their videos, the, the goal there was to let them see what they look like on camera and see what they can pull away from that and improve on. So I think that helped immensely, but they took it well. And they took everything we told them well. And the instructor examiner rating course is exactly what it sounds like. It's one of many steps to become an instructor examiner of various disciplines or uh, uh, methods, static line, IED, AFF, coach. But is everybody who takes the instructor examiner rating course going to be, have you trained people to take in this course who don't want to become an examiner? Yes, I have over the years. I mean, I've done this, I've been doing, before this we had the advanced instructor course and I started that back in in the early 2000s and then built that into what's now called the IERC. So, I've probably trained about 700 people to that level. And out of that 700, not all of them become examiners. Yeah. Maybe about half, maybe less than half. I know together you and I have worked with three prior to this, and of the three, one became an examiner. Yeah. The others might still be on path. Yeah. 
and that one is no longer an examiner. So really, that's zero for three. Yeah, in not the unusual. Long return. It's it's a thankless job. Yeah. It really is. I mean, you're doing, you're making sure that the next generation is trained properly, and that they're prepared to train other people. So, what do we what do we call it? We're living vicariously through our children, right? Yeah. Uh, the folks that we train, that we put our stamp of approval on. Are representing us so we got to make sure that they're they're well trained and they're able to do their job in the future i won't put this on a lightly bit of different terms sure. than you just did justin that's your granddaddy because who's your daddy <laughs> <laughs> and, and really i got weird i taught yeah, justin was a little weird <laughs> justin is uh, trained through the rating center as a coach and an aff instructor okay and so you kind of can see where I've come from now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your grandson. Congratulations. He's redheaded. He's a redheaded step-grandson. <laughs> Red <now. laughs> yeah. Don't hit him. With a Jeep. <laughs> What's up, my yeah. ginger? Uh, would you recommend that somebody like Justin, who's an instructor, and I, I say just an instructor, that's not a fair word because, my God, bud, you worked super hard and you, and you earned your rating. You got your butt whooped and you fought every way bit, bit forward and you did a good job. So not just an instructor, a man who's earned that rating. Would you recommend a guy like him take an IERC one day just for fun? It would, it would do good for him because it's, it's not just about learning to, to run a course. It's not just about learning to be an examiner. It's also learning about other things that are, that are on the periphery. You're going to be better served. You're going to be better for that experience. So just attending the, the program helps you be a better instructor for sure. And I'll give an example because I'm sitting in the back of the room right now throwing – I threw a marker at you actually the other day. Yeah, you did. Um, uh, I, we're at the end of day two, and in the first two days, we've actually talked to zero about how to conduct a course. Right. We've talked a lot about facilitating learning. Yep. We've talked a lot about uh, – Adult education, about uh, skill analysis, and a lot leadership. of other things. Leadership, situational leadership specifically. And, uh, yeah, and how to present – but we haven't actually talked about at all about how to run that actual course. We're going to do that tomorrow. I think it's the most unfair but easiest description. It is a coach course on steroids yeah. with human growth hormone, hormones injected inside TRT, testosterone replacement. I mean, <laughs> it really is that next level coach course. Yeah, for sure. So I, I highly recommend it. This is my, I guess, officially third time because I took the AIC, the, the predecessor right. to the IRC. Right. And then this is my second one to sit through. And um, I can earnestly say I haven't gained as much, but I do a lot of my homework every day anyways, and I still have gained a lot. I still t- and, and, and for me, a lot of it is, is, man, I forgot about that, or man, I could use right. that more, or man, you know, it, it's a good reminder. So I really would encourage any skydiving instructor to consider an IERC. And, and really, I don't think too soon is too soon. If you're freshly rated, and Justin, you're more freshly rated, to be a fair statement, I think you would gain a lot today in a different capacity than I gained. Right. But I think we gained a very similar amount said and done. So definitely check out Certifications Unlimited. There's an S Certifications, correct? No, no Certification Unlimited. Yep. Now, I see, man, I mess, mine's the ratings, and I get that messed up all the time, too. CertificationUnlimited.com. Um, see where Jay's going to be at for an IRC. Hit me up and let me know you want to take an IRC. And the reason I say that is because I'm going to have Jay back sometime in the future. Um, I, I've been spoken to in the past about running RERCs. You've been one of those guys. Yep. I'm interested in doing it, but after this week, I just kind of don't think I'll ever do it for one <laughs> simple reason. Why? You and I, dude, I did 18 AFF courses with you to become an AFF examiner. Yeah. How much fun did we have? We had a lot of fun. We had a, a party. Time. We had we a good did. time. 
man, I've worked so many courses with you, and, and, and we used to work together full-time, and That's then right. it turned into two or three times a year. Yep. And now, man, we can go two or three years without seeing each other. That's true. And, and then I don't like that too much. I, I enjoy coming out here and visiting you, but I'd really like to see you back on the West Coast, back in San Diego. I think you'd enjoy that, too. Oh, you know how much I love that The that, old stomping that grounds, yeah. Dude, it's America's finest city, and I believe that. Yeah. Um, Trying real hard not back, to make Anchorman references. Back to references. the old whale's oh. vagina. <laughs> Please do, because Santiago. I Discovered by the Germans. Every, every time I hear it, I say it in my head. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will be arranging to get Jay back out here, whether it's because I'm completing my uh, course director for IERC. Um, and again, I, I, did, I actually like the idea of just keep bringing yeah. you back out. I love tag teaming like with you. I love team I working really with you. Today was one of my favorite days because I actually got to work with you more today. Yeah. For sure. You know, yesterday was a lot of teaching where I got to just observe, and today we really got to debrief together. And yep. God, it was nice tag teaming. It was fun. I, I, we picked up where we left off because we're working, and I'm working the camera for him. And I and I very quickly remembered his visual cues. Where I'm like, okay, I'll hit play again now. He give me that glance. I'm like, man, that, it's like old Laurel and Hardy, hop, sure. right, right, hopping right back into our routine. For sure. Uh, IERC. What else do you offer for rating courses again? Actually, everything. I mean, you name it, we offer it. Uh, whether it be civilian or military. And I like to say this about a lot of uh, very experienced skydivers. Dinosaurs aren't dead because they're old. <laughs> Dinosaurs are dead because they didn't evolve. Yeah. And a lot of people are teaching the same way they did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And that's one thing that you've not done, and that's remained the same. Yeah. You have highly evolved. And I think there's other examiners who've done the same. But if I could give a mighty, mighty shout-out in Waz Chowdhury style, I would say <laughs> Certification Unlimited has continued to evolve, has continued to set a standard. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, who runs our standardization meeting for years? Who did it for years? That would have been me. Yeah. yeah. And now you guys got desperate, so you have a guy named <laughs> Michael Watkins and, and even more desperate, DJ Marvin, helping run these meetings. We trust you implicitly. You know that, right? We trust I, you. You know, and I have no problem with that because I will honestly say uh, I'm with Nick. I don't always like the compliments, but I've worked hard to do yeah. what I do. You've worked hard to do what you've done, Nick. Yeah. So I really have 20 more questions, but Nick, I think you've got a few more loaded that you want to get oh, to. Oh, I was, uh, I was just to get back to the record a little bit, only because there were things that I had heard about it that uh, I just didn't mm. uh, hear you talk about. Uh, how much time are you spending on the ground between uh, landing and getting into an airplane? On average, 13 seconds. <laughs> so t talk <laughs> oh, me wow. through that 13 seconds. What's happening? Well, and, and again, I say on average because sometimes that'd be eight seconds, sometimes it'd be a little bit longer. Um, every so often, like every 50, 75 jumps, they would have me stand down and they would take my blood pressure and, and check my pulse and stuff like that just to make sure that I'm not over overactive or, or something else is happening. Um, so 13 seconds would have been the average. And during that time, all I'm really doing is moving from one point to another, getting another uh, parachute on and getting on an airplane. What's a few steps you've taken from landing to boarding? Five. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. It's impressive. <laughs> My God. I, it, that's from the cement at the loading pad. Yeah. It goes to gravel at Spaceland, from gravel to cement, from cement to ladder is the most steps he's taken, or at least steps he's taken to land to load. Yeah. 
WTF. So where are you landing relative to the airplane? Well, how, sometimes how I would it? come in. Like in 2006, uh, we had one airplane flying at a time, not two. So what would happen is the airplane would be descending as I'm descending. So, so you're I racing this guy? Yeah, I'm racing him. So literally I could land and then be coming out of my gear and moving this way, and he's coming in like that. So you guys are converging. Yeah. Wow. And that was pretty impressive because, again, he would always try to beat me, too. So we're both in that who, race. Who was winning that race? Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes I would. So and now, now that there are multiple airplanes in the picture, right. now, now, now... That becomes a little trickier because now you've got an airplane sitting there waiting on you. Mm-hmm. The other airplane just, just lets you exit, right? So when you land, you can't land right back here because that's where the prop blast would be. Mm-hmm. So you got to land offset to him. So you got a little bit of a longer walk. And but you're you're flying straight at the side of this airplane. Is side what of the airplane, me. then then doing whatever turns you're going to make to to land safely, get out of your gear, and move. I got I got to stop for one second because we got to go yeah. to logistics for a minute. Okay. One of our problems last record attempt is what you just described. Yeah. And, and I mean, I w- the first time I was in the plane, I, I was oh my god! One one of the biggest compliments I've ever been paid is people compare me to you, and I don't think that's fair to you. <laughs> the second largest compliment I think I've ever been pl- paid is when I got in the airplane with you. You looked at me and said, "DJ, what's going on with my landings?" And the fact that you looked to me for canopy advice was, I mean, Yoda just asked. Not even Luke Skywalker, like ask Chewbacca for advice, man. Like, <laughs> and I told you it was the prop wash and it was yeah. the wind, and you immediately clicked, and we made some yeah. changes. So next time this happens with whoever it may be, right. and I don't care, Nick or whoever it is, whoever you are, if you have a good cause, I firmly believe Jay Stokes will help you if you have a good cause. Yeah, it's got to be. The thing I think we need to change is if we run two airplanes again, is have the plane wait behind where we're going to land. You land while you're switching out, pull the plane up, load. That might be a good option, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I had to, before I forget yep. that idea. Yep. So he's aiming straight at the airplane, Nick. I'm sorry. Before I forgot that. No, that's great. I was. I'm just imagining. That's uh, for your safety. If yeah, if I'm if I'm racing down to meet an airplane, how I would approach the airplane with safety and efficiency in mind. And I don't think I'd fly right to the side of that thing. <laughs> you mean the spinning sushi knives? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or I mean, what if I went long? You know. Yeah. Well, that's where knowing your that's where knowing your parachute comes in, though, right? Right. Yeah. For sure. And every time I'm, I mean, I I was jumping twenty seven different rigs, but they're all similar canopies, and and I twenty seven pretty much. Where are we going to get twenty five more rigs? Sponsors. <laughs> Actually, how many do I own right now? I have. Uh, 15 javelins with quick ejectors already as- installed. Well, there you go. Now, hold on. <laughs> so this brings up t- us to another question. Yeah. You have a, just over 2,000 jumps. How, do you, how many jumps do you have in six record attempts? you got to know this number. Mm. I know it's over 2,000. It is over 2,000. So in over 2,000 jumps in six days, in really yeah. five and a half days, right? how many malfunctions did you have? Within all of the records? Yes. Actually? Yes. One. So that's one more than I thought it was. <laughs> when was that one? That was in uh, 99 at... Uh, Summerton. Summerton Airport, yeah. And it was uh, when I got out of a... It was actually not out of a 182. It was out of the Porter. And I had a, a hang-up on that mechanical advantage. Okay. And I had to cut away the main parachute and landed and got another rig on and kept going. 
one of the guys that was there, the PAC supervisor, actually, his name is Chuck Sims. His name was Chuck Sims. He went in and took care of business, got the reserve repack, got everything sorted out, got me back in business with that one. But I had other rigs going anyway, so we just kept rolling. And how many packers did we use at the, the 700, the last attempt? Six packers at a time, four-hour shift. And, and one pack supervisor. And, and back to the date, they're not packing malfunctions. No. A part of it is. Well, you also had an inspector, so they would come off the line and it would be inspected by a master rigger. Uh, Young Chisholm was, was one of the ones that was a master rigger yeah. that was working in uh, Elsinore and also at, in Greensburg. And she was making sure that the equipment was right. If it wasn't right, she'd send it back. Yeah. Doug Ligner, I think, helped with the last yep, one as a master sure rigger. He actually was also a safety officer. Yep. And then it actually got inspected again before it got to the landing area. Right. Then it got inspected again in the landing area. And then it got inspected again in yeah. the plane. We, we had a copious amount of gear checks. Yeah. Um, how many rigs? We, you had 25 rigs in, in Frankfurt. But how many did we use? Do you know how many we actually put in service? Oh, boy. So here's the real question. Yeah. Is 15 enough to support the next attempt? If, if you're averaging 30 jumps an hour, which is more than 700 jumps, 15 rigs wouldn't probably make it because you'd run out of you'd run out of time to pack a rig, right? Jesus, you start that's doing the math. Bizarre to think about. Yeah, and you start <laughs> doing crazy. the math, and you you probably could get away with 20, but 15 would be tough because because again, 30 jumps an hour. 30 jumps an hour, so that's uh, two minute pack jobs per rig. Right. If you have 30 rigs. Because and and the downside is you you've got to tr- take if them from that regular. travel point or the stopping point over to the packing area, that's time. So you're losing time every time somebody lands. So if you don't have enough parachutes, you're going to run out of parachutes before you run out of jumps. There was actually every job's assigned. Timekeeper, record keeper, yep. people moving rigs in, people moving rigs out, people moving a freaking box on and off the runway. Right. There's, there is a job for yeah. everything. Because I used a box to, to hop up into the pack 750. Mm-hmm. So I had a guy called the box man. And it's uh, in, in the porter, you could get straight in the plane. I'd fight that yeah. guy at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we went to Greensburg, Indiana, or you went to Green, because I was already moved. I was here in Houston yeah. when that happened. Yeah. And uh, that's when I think in, in the very beginning of the event that y'all didn't think about the box till the event started rolling. Right. And, and they actually pulled a box, I think, that was being used for something else and just it made was it work. A, it was a uh, seat. It was uh, styrofoam covered in, what was it? Um, Canvas material. Canvas or, or like a uh, carpet material. Because they had used it before on one of the old caravans yeah. as a straddle bench. I think that's a seat Dennis Anderson and I made. Yeah, it probably was. Back of the hangar. You know how we made that bench? <laughs> you know how we cut it down to size? How did you? Um, Dennis was trying to figure out how to cut this sucker down to size, and then he, the hot knife he had wasn't even close to big enough. Ooh. So I told Dennis, I'm like, here's what we do, bud. We take two two-by-fours, three three-by-fours, two-by-fours, and we... Bolt them together. So now we have this big cross arm. We take a piece of wire and we stretch it across and we hook up one battery lead to one end and one battery <laughs> lead to the other end and we slice through it. And it was a rough cut. I don't know if you remember how wavy it was. Yeah. Because Dennis and I had a couple beers while that's we were trying right. to cut yeah, this That's mother. a good story. That's a good story. Yeah. D- Dennis was a good time. Um, so there's a role for everything. The, bo- the box man. Yeah. And actually, I think there was a guy who wore a helmet during that one. Yeah. Um... Justin Lean? I, I didn't know that. I just know the pictures because I wasn't there yeah. for that one. Yeah. Was this before or after the Marine got taken out by the... Uh... No. The, <laughs> there was actually another guy at, at Elsinore that was wearing a helmet. 
and he's actually in the picture that was in which which edition was it? It was one of the Guinness World Record books that actually had a photograph of me getting on an airplane. It probably was in 03 or 04 or something like that. What are you digging up over there, Mr. He's DJ? He's probably digging up an old Guinness World Record book. <laughs> is, he, is he coming up with it? I don't know. Nope. Not yet? Uh, not yet. You know what? That's it. That's the book. Yeah. How do you just have the, this book within arm's That's reach so right funny. now? What page am I looking for, Jake? Uh, like, like 218 <laughs> or something like that. I want to see. That's funny. Well, it's funny. You it's, ask, how do I have this book laying handy? Yeah. Because I'm going to turn to page. And it's, it's in there someplace. It's in the athletes and records and stuff. Yeah. That's so funny. Hmm. Yeah, you're not going to be able to find it, probably. I'm going to find it. Okay. I'm going to find it because this is uh, this is one of those things I have that is a little special to me. Hmm. So, Jay, I would say that this is probably, you know, the record uh, is the skydiving accomplishment you're best known for. Would you say that's fair? Uh, yes, it is. So, yeah, uh, for sure. I, I wanted to ask if, uh, if there is a different uh, accomplishment in skydiving that you're more uh, personally fond of. Uh, you know, last year it was kind of neat. I did an FAI world record. Uh, I was part of an FAI world record, a night 64-way, which was kind of cool because not too many people like jumping at night. Mm-hmm. So putting 64 people together at night over Eloy, Arizona was pretty slick. The year prior to that, we did 40, 46 or something like that. So doing 64 was uh, an official FAI world record. So that was kind of neat. What do you, let's say that you're going to go do a fun jump right now. Okay. What does that jump look like? What are you going to do? What's your favorite thing? Actually, I would like to get back into wingsuiting. Really? Yeah. How many like, wingsuit jumps do like you have? Five. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, you do know 25,000 so. and five. Good ratio. <laughs> do you know why people wingsuit? Because nobody else will jump with them. Oh. oh. So Look, there it is. What page Nick, is that anyway? 211. Okay. You ask why I have a Guinness World Record yeah, book handy nearby. Whose signature is that? <laughs> there you picture? go, Jay Stokes. There it is. What's yeah, that? that was Elsinore, California. Is that your D license? Yep. What, Six, what? Sixty-five twenty-eight. As soon as this man, as soon as this version came out, I bought it and made That's sure my funny. buddy Jay signed this. And there is a picture of Jay. First of all, with a killer stash. He has got <laughs> he's got the flavor saver caterpillar going on, man. That this, is, this was one of the guys. It's a fine cookie duster. This guy, he's actually uh, Russian by birth, this guy was, uh-huh. and he That's, would literally wor- walk me out to the airplane to get me on to make sure that I didn't walk into the prop or into the wing. What that a was their job. That was their job. Yeah. Did you f- get to the point of exhaustion where you thought that that might be something no, that happened? I mean, did, did you lose any of your mental faculties through, throughout this process? Like, well, my ex-wife would tell you that I lost him before I ever started. <laughs> but uh, no. Now, was there was there a point? I mean, I understand the anxiety of like, God, it's two in the morning. I'm on a fucking airplane. What am I doing? Jumping out of an airplane yeah. right now? Look at all these people. What am I doing? I yeah. totally understand that emotion. But as far as like uh, losing your ability to, you know, motor function, did you mm-hmm. did you feel like that that was going no, at any point? That, no, it never happened. Um, and for whatever reason, it didn't happen, or at least I didn't believe that it ever happened. Uh, I always seemed to have everything, in, at least in focus. Whether I liked what I was doing or not, it was in focus. You know, what's really funny, though, is uh, at times you, you think, why am I doing this? You know, what's it all about? But in Greensburg, one of the things that I remember distinctly was the people laying down 
on the green grass and with their bodies spelling out Go Jay just to keep me going. Or looking at Phil Schmidt wearing a tutu, <laughs> right? And going, Go Jay, you know, with pom poms. It's just hilarious. Some of the stuff they did to keep me laughing. And what, yeah, what's your attitude like during oh, the, this, this event? You know, it was great. It really was. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, but it, but what makes it fun is well two things one is one is the people that are doing this they're supporting it because they they believe in you and they believe in what's happening they believe in what's gonna you know we're we're raising money for different charities because the money put together for the aircraft the 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 uh, fuel and all the other stuff that was paid for ahead of time I wouldn't step out of an airplane unless everything was paid for so the money that we raised went straight to the charities it didn't come to anybody else which is what I'm very proud of. But the folks that stood behind me that made sure it happened, that's what impressed me the most. That's what kind of gives, gives a little bit of a tear in my eye because they're there because I asked them to be there. And that's friendship. That really is. So you might say I had 125 of my closest friends <laughs> helping me out and make something happen. So. I just imagine that uh, exhaustion and fatigue would set, up, set in at some point for me and that I would end up using... <laughs> anger as fuel to get through the, well, the last little bit of it? Not anger. I mean, no. you just, I, you know, you might use something different than I did, but because of the adrenaline hit, every time you're getting out of an airplane, every time you're in constant motion, it really doesn't happen. It, 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 it may hit you or may not, but it didn't hit me. The anxiety thing happened on the very first attempt, but once I understood what it was, I didn't let that affect me again. So, Do you get nervous ever? Jumping out of an airplane? Well, yeah. I mean, everybody does, don't Good. they? Good. All right. That makes me feel better to hear that. <laughs> I think some people say that. I, I guess I, I go through phases when I'm super current. It's yeah. been a long time since I've had a malfunction, and I've had a lot of really fun jumps yeah. where I can let go of an airplane and feel nothing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I still get nervous sometimes. Yeah. I, wanna, I want Jay to, to quote this, and I'll tell you, some of you have heard me use one of my favorite quotes about fear. I'm still afraid just like you're afraid. We both have butterflies in our stomach. And Jay, how do you tell me the rest of that story? It's real simple. We all have butterflies, but mine are flying in formation. I like that. Yeah. And, and, I, and I've stole that from Jay over the years, and I tell my students all the time. When you're in a plane and you say, what if? You grab that butterfly and you say, I'll do this. What if? I'll grab that butterfly and I say, I'll do this. What if? Then I'll do this. And you put those butterflies in formation. Yeah. The difference is, is your butterflies are banging heads, or mine are the blue angels flying through the sky. And, and I think I took a little extra twist to it from yeah, what yeah, you gave me. For sure. Yeah, yours got a little more theatrical. Mine's verbose. Mine's verbose. Fancy <laughs> way of saying I talk you. <laughs> <laughs> But well. I've had to use it with some students who I'm like, you need to take that butterfly of what if and say this. And, and it is one of my favorite sayings. And it's proof that 25,000 plus jumps and you still get nervous. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Nick, 8,000 jumps and you're the most current person in the room. You still get nervous. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I man and, and man, I that's it's if you're skydiving and you're saying you're not nervous anymore, then why the fuck are you skydiving? Yeah. It's a rush. It's who a who in here doesn't get a rush skydiving? Any one of you. <laughs> yeah. Why is it a rush? Because of the fear. You can be embraced by fear or you can embrace the fear. And I believe Jay Stokes is a man who embraces that fear. As a special uh, as a special operator, as a guy who's a Green Beret, that was part of your job. Focus under fear. Yeah. And that, and Nick, I know you might have one or two more questions, but once it goes back to your special operations warrior guys, mm -hmm. 
you're definitely driven by them. What about that brotherhood drives you to support them? Well, I mean, you're, please take this the right way. Mm-hmm. You're in an elite organization with other folks that are also elite. And they're the spear, they're the edge of the spear, the tip of the spear, so to speak. You know, we go where people don't want to go. We're the ones that are doing the things that nobody wants to do. Nobody in their right mind would want to do. But we're making a difference. And quite honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. I've always, I always wanted to do something different. I always wanted to do something special. And from way back in 1968, when I saw that movie, I said, that's what I want to do. The, the misnomer, though, for, for the Green Berets is kind of funny. We did direct action operations. We did strike ops. But our, ultimately, we're, we're trainers. We train people on how to do those things, do explosives, fire weapons, and, and conduct patrolling and, and operations. So the bulk of what the Green Berets do is training. And... Your training, I, I want to go one step back further in training because I think the most, uh, the well, the most, the best known organization out there for special operations is going to be the Navy SEALs. Right now, they're the flavor of the day. Yeah, they sure. Are. And people who have no clue what the military is commonly know what BUDS is, Basic Underwater mm-hmm. Demolition School. Did I say yep. that right? Yep. Um, and, and we have a lot of mutual friends sure. who've gone through that. San Diego's full of, oh, uh, of, course. of, of, of SEALs. Uh, and then, uh, of course, people think they're, they're not just, or people familiar with them, but they're also familiar with what they call Hell Week. Of course. Uh, what did you, like, what's the roughest part of becoming a Green Bray? How's that process? Well, take Hell Week and expand it, basically. I mean, you're literally, you go through assessment and selection over a six-week period of time, and you're literally doing six weeks of hell. So you're rucksack marching, you're, you're training, you're doing this, doing that getting up early, get, going to bed late, if at all, doing land navigation courses. Just, it's just it's miserable, but it's rewarding, too, because at the end of it, you've accomplished something that some people have, have not done. You know, you've made it to that, that next tier, that next level. You guys remind me so much of each other because you hate yourself enough to... <laughs> you know, fuck you, man. Reward <laughs> you. know? You, no, I, what do you mean? What do you say that? What do you mean? So you've actually described that as yourself to me. I've uh, stolen and, those words okay, from Okay, then, then that's, that might be true. Yeah. I just don't remember having that conversation. Yeah, mm. no, you, you, you hate yourself enough to put yourself through this torture to reward yourself with this feeling. And then I'm paraphrasing okay. it. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like it's something mm. I'd say. Yeah, and, and very much paraphrasing. But, you know, as we've talked about fasting in our lives together, as we've talked about diet and exercise, you talk about sometimes how you just hate yourself and go make yourself do it anyway. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so. that, yeah, that makes sense. And that's, I guess that's the mm-hmm. feeling I brought up when I said what gets you through it and maybe a, a more negative feeling mm-hmm. might be the thing that, that pushed me. So, yeah, yeah okay, so, that makes sense. All right. Yeah. So, please understand when I say you hate yourself enough, it's a discipline factor more yeah. than anything else. And, and as you know, I started getting a little more physical fit, and my God, there's a little bit of like, fuck you, DJ, you're going to do this whether you <laughs> like it or not. And, and that's what I mean by hating yourself. You guys remind me so much of each other with your discipline in life to to become better people. Nick, what else do you have for our, for Mr. Stokes? Oh, I wanted to have a bit of a closing question if uh, we're about that time. Okay. So you're, you're someone who's, uh, you're a mature man. You're successful in life. You seem driven. You're successful. Uh, what, what advice, what's worked for you? What's gotten you to this point? Boy. You got a young skydiver looking up to you. Someone who, man, this guy's really figured it out. He's checked off a lot of goals. What got you there? 
well, sacrifice. I guess that's the best word I can use is be sacrifice. But what I've sacrificed too is is other things. You know, uh, to be successful in a professional world, you, you're not always successful in a fam family world. If that makes any sense at all. Mm -hmm. I've been married three times, and there's a reason why I'm not married right now. So I have actually sacrificed. I love my family. I love my ex-wife. I just can't live with her, you know, just for whatever reason. That doesn't mean I don't love her. That doesn't mean I wouldn't do anything in the world to help her or any of my sons or my grandchildren, for that matter. But I'm driven, and I've sacrificed those things for, for that, that end state. And... Uh, Got to tell you, though, in, in 30 years, <laughs> I'm going to be dead. And who will remember what we did anyway? So hopefully it was it was good. Hopefully it was the right thing to do, and hopefully the, the legacy will live on. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I've sure had a great ride. I love it. Man, I cannot thank you enough, Jay, for being a hero in my life. <laughs> and you really have been, man. You've been a role model to me. Uh, and I mentioned earlier as an examiner, as as I can now say I firmly believe I've become a leader in the sport. And, and I, I hope I really truly say that with all humility because it is, is such a, a hard place to be. Um, but I thank you more than anything else as an example of a human being. You have you've been such an inspiration to me and my family. And you've meant so much to Valerie and I. So thank you so much for being the man you are. Well, I'm glad to be a part of your lives. Yeah, that's for sure. You're definitely very, very dear to to both of us, and, and I just I just cannot thank you enough for everything you've done for me, and everything you've done for the sport. And the sport has recently recognized you, and this November you're going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I can't think of a more deserving candidate. I can't think of a more deserving person. The Hall of Fame is meant to recognize people who have had a large impact on our sport. Fair statement. That's a good statement. And I honestly can say I question many of the inductees to the Hall of Fame. I think they all did great things, but I don't always know if they've had an impact on the sport. Mm. Now, part of it is I'm not involved with that part of the sport. But my gosh, I don't know anybody who's had as large of an impact on safety and training in the last probably 15 years. And it's a hard statement because Don Yarling is in this group of people. Yeah. Jim Crouch, a director of safety and training for almost 20 years. Right. Uh, he's had a large impact. Yep. Um, whether you, he can hear you from his left ear or right ear or not. <laughs> um, and I still don't think anybody has made a larger impact on a larger group of people than you. And, and I hope you understand that, uh, Justin, I think what you do is a large part to what Jay does. You know, that impact is exponential, and I believe you know that. Yeah. As we get to close out, I want to call you out on how old you are with a simple statement. If people want to get a hold of you, what email address can they reach you at? Actually, I have two now. The, the best one, though, for uh -huh. me is mostjumps at gmail.com. Okay. So the one that I know is mostjumps. At AOL. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the age joke came in, man. Mostjumps at gmail.com. Yeah. So I should start redirecting my email to you. Yeah, that's the best one. That's what I I'll use change with it. all of my USPA stuff, too. Okay, I'll change it. It's a, You've had to change my email address over the years yep. as well. Mostjumps at gmail.com. And guys and gals, I've said it for many years. I don't care if you come to the rating center or not for your ratings. I care that you go to a quality place. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for Michael Watkins and Excel Skydiving. Yep. I have a lot of respect for a lot of people. But I have no more than Certification Unlimited and Jay Stokes. You will earn 
your rating, but you will be well-trained to do so. You're the first person to introduce me to the idea that we're no longer certification courses. We're training and certification courses. And you really, you're not, I, I'm not, you didn't introduce me to that idea. I think you really were the catalyst to that idea because that is our modern day. Yeah, it is. We are training and certification courses, and you were the first person I heard say it. It, it actually, in Fredericksburg, at, at, at a bowling alley yeah. right across from headquarters. And I think that's the first time I heard you say that. So thank you for being a leader. They want to get a hold of you, certificationunlimited.com. Yep. They can hire you for any type of course they want, except yep. for rigor courses. You do train, you do testing, but no longer training. Correct. Except it takes for, too long to train riggers. Except for maybe a really, really good friend that you feel sorry for. Maybe. So, um, you know, I'd show up ready Are we to talking test. about Chris Nunn or <laughs> somebody I really feel sorry for? You compared me to Chris Nunn. This, no, this is we're done. You said <laughs> you said somebody I really feel sorry for, and I feel sorry for Chris Nunn. <laughs> we call him Ditch for a reason, and we'll, I'll yeah. tell that story one day. Um, CertificationUnlimited.com. He'll train you in anything you need to be trained for. And guys and gals, I highly recommend the Instructor Examiner Rating Course, uh, whether it's with Michael Watkins, whether it is with Brom, whether it is with Jay. I personally recommend it from Jay. Um, uh, partially, I've, I've only been three years, but also I know your background and your extra training. Two master's degrees now. Yeah. Working on your PhD. There's a man who never quits striving to excel in life. And back to that's where I believe you guys are similar, Nick. Uh, most jumps at gmail.com. Yep. Anything else you want to share with the world about W.J. Stokes? <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't go down that road. No, I still just, want to be friends. Yeah. No, just I really appreciate having me on the show. I really appreciate the time I spent with you guys. Uh, I noticed you haven't drank much, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't drink. Is that okay? That's, that's probably a great thing. Probably a great thing. So they're going to have to take up your slack. But uh, They usually do. Yeah, we usually thing. get a lot more scotch in this guy. <laughs> Actually. Gonna, I really appreciate letting me come on the show. Though. This oh, has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, this is one I really look forward to. So I think we all appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. This is the second half of a generation. And I say that because this is episode 51, so it's the beginning of the second half. You know, really, reaching a 50 was a huge landmark for us. And I couldn't think of a better way to begin this this next phase wow. of our journey than with Jay Stokes. Mr. Grubbs, anything else you'd like to share? I'd just like to say it was an honor to meet you. and uh, Very much enjoyed uh, everything you had to say and uh, everything you've done for the community and uh, others as well. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Before you hit that music, before you get there, I want to close out with... I don't think with, it's going to work. That's well, right. We don't have music. We don't <laughs> have music. Um, I want to close out with one idea and one quick statement. And those of you who are listening to the podcast version, which, which I think is the majority of you, we will have the music incorporated. I'll, I will edit that in. But the Gravity Lab Film Festival 2018 is going to be October 20th. October 20th, 2018, we're going to have the film festival. It, we've, I've, I've confirmed almost all the prizes. This year, Velocity Sports Equipment, Infinity Rigs, is going to donate 20% off the base price and one of their custom jerseys. And you've seen myself and Mr. P over here wear those jerseys on the show on multiple occasions and at the drop zone. Those uh, really dope jerseys made by Option Studios. Oh, wait a minute. Guess what Option Studios is oh, donating? Oh, please tell me it's another Windblade with someone's face on it. Nope. <laughs> Guess what they're donating? I have no idea. A custom jersey. If you win the film festival this year, Option Studios will make you a one-of custom jersey. Mm -hmm. These are going to provide a couple of different background designs, and then you get to add whatever image you want. 
and it is completely donated. Now, don't get me wrong. We say one up. If you like that one up and you want to make them for your homies, you're welcome to purchase more. <laughs> I got to support my boy, Adam Buckner. You know Adam well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but definitely, uh, he has donated that. Cookie Helmets has, do- has donated two thirty percent off, so each location will get 30% off of a Cookie Helmet again. Mm. LMB, I have not confirmed with. I'm gonna be. I'm, I'm a little assumptive when it comes to LMB because of my relationship with a with a business. And for those of you who don't know, I do work uh, with and for LMB quite a bit. Um, I, I anticipate that we'll be getting two visual altimeters, two Viso twos, and I actually might even up the ante. I'm gonna see if I can get two Aries twos, one for each location, and another Protract two for the grand prize winner. A jumpsuit, a full free jumpsuit from Atande Wee. Atande Wee owned by our friend Aaron. Oh, Aaron, yeah. Yeah, she'll be in full production by then. And I and I have not talked with Stephen Boy or spoke with Stephen Boyd yet, but I do anticipate we'll be getting some more free jumps from uh, Skydive Spaceland. So, Mr. P. Oh, and guess who else is donating the grand prize again? I guess Ben Nelson's stepping up. Ben Nelson has talked with GoPro, and GoPro once again is stepping up, and we're going to have a GoPro 6. I will make zero Ooh. promises, but here's what I'll tell you happened last year. Last year, what did GoPro donate? A GoPro 5. What showed up? Yeah, a six showed up, right? A six showed up. The first person at Skydive Spaceland to have a GoPro six was <laughs> yeah. the grand prize winner of our film festival. Wow. Yeah, super <clears throat> awesome. Guys, gals, if you want to enter this film festival, how many skydives did the person have who won it last Not year? Not even enough to wear a camera. She had yeah. 100 <laughs> skydives. You ain't oh, got to wow. wear a camera. You got to get footage. And did she have the best skydiving skill set footage? Nope, not at all. <laughs> she had the best human emotion contact. There I, was fun, real skydives. Oh, wow. So, guys, gals, check it out. This year, we're going to definitely leave the, the music submissions open. Uh, you can get all these great prizes, all these great things. We're going to very soon get a uh, Facebook page made up. Adam Buckner is going to be making our flyers once again, getting our promotional uh, uh, graphic material for the Facebook page. And then I am hoping and believing and right now checking if we're going to have another promo video made. And ladies and gentlemen, Nick Law is not allowed to enter the film festival. It's all right. I wouldn't be able to live, live with myself if I didn't win. So, <laughs> yeah. so it takes the pressure up. You'll be mad, yeah. Uh, but can we get another promo? Yeah, we'll do a promo, yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I think I'm in a bad habit right now of all the good footage that I get. As soon as I get it, I just make something with it yeah. and put it out into the internet. So I'll try and, uh, I'll try and hang on to some, some little golden nuggets for that promo. I think you'll get some golden nuggets sometime in the next yeah, few days. I think this, this weekend should be good. So guys and gals, I really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you very much to Jay Stokes, Mr. President, my hero, <laughs> my mentor. Um, I really believe without you, Jay, I wouldn't be anywhere close to where I am today in the sport and as a human being. So thank you. Thank you very much. Guys and gals, till then, till next time, this is Gravity Lab Radio. I'm DJ Marvin, Blue Skies. This is Weird Without Music. So weird. We are so out of here. <laughs> 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 <laughs>